slammed in my face How many more can this heart take? I'm still dreaming, but they made me doubt Your ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later The Homestar Army proudly presents Trek West Live A conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else they want to talk about your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 185. I am Peter. And I am Joey. Um, welcome back, everyone. And sorry to everyone for not sending out the email until this morning. <laughs> um, I, I was sure it just wasn't going to be sent. I thought you, you decided that you announced enough stuff in last week's podcast about what was coming, you felt you didn't need the email. Here's funny. I actually changed the episode names. I, I put the correct episode names into the email uh, as opposed to the prior week. Um, and, uh, yeah, in general, I just like to send it out because some people don't think we're going to record unless we send it out because that's usually the case. Um, it got sent out. <laughs> people responded to it, so everything is Great. fine. Wonderful. And uh, what a week it's been. Fun things have happened here at the office. Um, uh, good week for you? It was a pretty rotten week for me. But yeah, you didn't really do much. Yeah, I didn't you get much accomplished. Let everyone down. Multiple times. <laughs> um, we've got, a, I mentioned, we've got a number of emails. And I'd like to cover a few now, a few later, some big lists. And when I say big lists... I am not kidding around. More than five? Big lists. I'm not sure what you mean by big. You just stay tuned. Okay. All right. You will see. Big lists. Um, I'll hear at least. Let me, let me start off with uh, this email from uh, John Leindecker, who sent in the email. Um, we recorded Friday night. He sent it in, I think, Saturday morning. Okay. Anyway, he says, hi, Pete and Joey. I just started listening to Podcast 183. I loved the story about Pete's chemistry class, but I have a question. Pete, since I assume that your parents diligently listened to the podcast, is your brother now grounded? Just wondering, John. Um, okay, there's a couple of problems with your, your reasoning. Uh, no, I think I go out of my way to tell my parents anything but this podcast it's the last thing i want them listening to um besides they really wouldn't know how to do it anyway because i've got this other uh religious podcast that they might actually enjoy they didn't even listen to that okay uh, it's just too that's too hard um from a technology standpoint too much to ask so that's that's okay totally okay with that so no they have not heard about this so my brother is not grounded, um, but uh, they gave him half the property, so we built a house back there. So I, all is forgiven, uh, <laughs> and uh, even if they did find out, I, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't do anything about it. Uh, the statute point. of limitations on that kind of thing is probably, probably expired. Probably. Yeah. It's far worse things that he would, he would and should get in trouble for. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm no stool pigeon. Let's see here. I want to go to John. My friend John Madsen. Father of the podcast. He sent in a lengthy email. The subject of it is, 
Little Mermaid controversy, etc. Controversy? Yeah, alternate pronunciation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if people can get away with saying across instead of across, um, then I, I think I can say controversy. Okay. I think I can get away with that. He begins. Regarding other versions of The Little Mermaid, Mark was very correct to add a date to The Little Mermaid because there was a semi-major anime movie release of the story way back in 1975, I think. This is especially on my mind because I had the opportunity to see this other version at the recent 24-hour movie marathon I attended. It's very Japanese and has that sort of blocky, jerky sort of animation. There are a few big differences. The flounder character is a dolphin, which I think makes perfect sense, since I feel that fellow mammals probably would be likelier friends to mermaids than goldfish. (laughs) Also, there's a bit more of a mermaid authenticity with the mermaid's wardrobe. They're... Seashell less. <laughs> well, this movie sounds sound more and more interesting. P- yeah, pizza tension. <laughs> Perhaps it was partially due to the sleep deprivation of the movie marathon, but I wound up loving the Japanese version. The ending, frankly, blew me away. Apparently, it stays closer to the original Hans Christian Andersen tale, with Little Mermaid not only getting jilted by the prince but also killing herself to avoid bringing further harm to him. Yeah, it seems the moral of this children's uh, cartoon is suicide. I don't think the cartoon blatantly said to kids to go out and off themselves, but that's certainly the message that we'd take away from it if it were released in the 21st century. And let's admit it, there's no way any cartoon with an ending like that would ever happen today. Although the ending is potentially dangerous, I felt it played out more of a morality tale with a lesson that you can't just rock the boat with dangerous decisions and and expect to nab the prince after a series of fun songs. If nothing else, it was worth it to see the movie just so I could yell in a crowded room as it was ending, WTF! Did that just happen? Did I just witness that happen? They showed showed this Sylvia Plath death fest to kids? Speaking of death, both of you were wrong not to see the original Transformers the movie. Like The Little Mermaid, death absolutely makes that film. Totally agree. I know what happens. Totally agree. I have no idea what happens. Yep. First of all, the television show was sort of okay. The Autobots and Decepticons would shoot each other, but then get repaired and continue to lob shots and quips at each other the following week. The movie dumped ice water all uh, over all of us kids by not only jumping ahead in time to the then far future of 2005, <laughs> and also introducing several new characters. Yes, like G.I. Joe, Hasbro has a bunch of new toys to roll out. But also opening with a chilling scene that had Decepticons surprise attacking a group of Autobots 
and full-on executing them. Wow. Slow motion. No cutaways. We learned what an Autobot looks like when it dies for good. From that opening scene... Uh, from that opening scene on, anything goes, with several more robots losing their lives for good. The movie also went weird in a good way and introduced two more sets of villains that weren't even purchasable toys to at least expand the story universe. Oh, and Leonard Nimoy does great voice work as the sadistic next step of Megatron. Anyway, the biggest complaint about the movie is that in the midst of all its dark and dreary newfound grit, it wrapped up toward the end a little too quickly. This may be because one of the new villains, the Galactus-like uh, Unicron, was voiced by Orson Welles, who died before filming was over. <laughs> There's that pesky death again. Crazy. I like to think that the sound of Unicron groaning in the movie as he meets his fate at the hands of the Autobot Matrix is the sound of Orson Welles actually dying in real life. <laughs> anyway, I guess the point of my email this week is that death makes cartoons awesome. Okay. Um, I, I have to agree... Um, you know, look at the movies that we all espouse and say, oh my gosh, that's such a great movie. That's so fantastic. It's the dramas. It's the ones where, sadly, the hero, the character that we love, the uh, protractor? Tag protagonist? Procrastinator? Um, is He ends up dying. He doesn't make it through and we're like, oh. Um, so totally get that uh, that would work in, in cartoons. Totally get that. So, John, great email. Yeah. Uh, super glad that you took the time to, to write that up and send it in. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess that movie marathon uh, festival really kind of paid off. So excellent. Certainly paid off for Trek West 5. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it paid off for him as well. Well, good. Um, let's see here. All right, got to hold that for a little bit. All right, there's something I want to bring up. There's this new show, newish. Uh, it's officially in its season one, or it was granted its own set of seasons. Comedy Central gave to um, Chris Hardwick, the guy who does The Nerdist, okay. um, a show. The idea of the show is... Have some comedians on, and we make fun of what's happened in recent. Yeah, you've watched an episode. I, I was going to say, I think I yep, watched. Them I with had you, you watch an yeah. episode um, where you. Uh, what's happening right now? Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Reddit, all sorts of that stuff. Social media, literally right now. Um, and the idea is, you know, they make up little. Uh, games for for all of this you get earn points etc etc um i happened upon it and i was like well, the, well let's see what this might be you know this might be okay uh by the way this show's called at midnight guess what time it plays 11 o'clock yep um no actually it's <laughs> at midnight as it turns out the um no actually i think it may be at 1 a.m for us because the you know whole central time zone sure. mountain time zone Anyway, I digress. 
I love it. I think it's hilarious. Uh, these are comedians who are doing some really awesome zingers. And they're making fun of really stupid people. <laughs> it's just, it's wonderful for me. I shared it with John. I think he watched uh, maybe an episode or two. And I asked him about it and he said, Nah, it's not that good. I, I don't really enjoy it. And I was, I was flabbergasted. Flabbergast. <laughs> I don't know what I was. I was shocked. Because I thought for sure John would really enjoy something like this. We talked briefly, really, really briefly. So I'm, I'm sure I probably don't have the gist of what he really doesn't like about it. One of the things he did say, though, was that it was... It's set up. It's all kind of set up stuff. You know, they're not making those jokes up on the fly okay. right then and there. And at the time, I was like, no, no, they, they totally are. And I realized, you know, he's, pro he's probably right. He's yeah. probably right. They are feeding them at least some information about certain things because, honestly, they're really funny stuff. And so it's, yeah, they're, they're probably, you know, not getting that. But I know for a fact that there are, they have what are called live challenges where they have no idea what's coming. They're, it's just, okay. okay, here's the thing, now react to it. We're going to commercial break. So they probably get, you know, five, ten minutes to come up with something. I know one guy once was like, uh, his answer or his response to whatever it was was, I didn't know we were going to have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Which was hilarious. Um, and it got, it got me thinking, why doesn't John still like this though? Because it's really, really pretty funny. And you see different comedians each time. Um, and so you get this odd mix of all sorts of fun, fun, funny stuff. And it, it made me think, you know, this guy, it's kind of like this day and age is... Hollywood squares, I think, because you have a bunch of celebrities who are up in these squares, okay. and there's this banter time that goes on, and everybody's coming out with these little zingers. Ah, <laughs> they totally would have been fed the, that sure. information, and oddly enough, I think I liked it back then, and I, I huh. guess I kind of like this format too. So, caveat out there, it's. It's played at midnight on Comedy Central, so some of the stuff that they come up with is... A little blue. Yes, and disturbing sometimes, really disturbing. They bleep out the, the, the foul language, uh, which I prefer. Um, yeah, love it. I, remember, I think it's great. I remember thinking it, it had a lot in common in my mind with whose line is it anyway? Sure. Mm -hmm. I, I felt there was some similarity there. Yeah, I mean, because... I, I, there's the, the the prepared stuff that they're you know okay it's we're gonna show you this picture be prepared to make jokes about you know whoever this idiot is, um, but there are times when they are literally zinging off of each other yeah. making stuff up and it's like wow I I really really appreciate the the type of humor that that comes out of that stuff okay so John my friend John Matson if you want to talk about this at some point let me know because i i'm really a, a big fan of the show i'm wondering if I, I captured accurately why you might not like it so um yeah actually you know what i'm, I'm gonna question you on this why don't you like this when you like comedy bang bang 
because that show was awful. All right. <laughs> the, uh, I hope you all enjoyed that little that little conversation I just had with John there. <laughs> I thought you were asking me for a second. I was like, I don't like comedy bang bang. Why are you making such an accusation? <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Joey, anything from you? I do have an Adventures in Republican. Is this what I think it is? It is. Yeah. All right. So we've got... All right. All right. Let's hear this because I'm excited. You've told me a little bit about it and it's one of those times when you're just like, oh, good Lord. This is why everyone hates politics. I, I have to be careful. I can't say too much. Right, right, right. Um, but there, there, ongoing legal cases. That's right. There, there, there is a uh, there is some legal action being brought <laughs> against by a member of the Utah County Republican Party against another member of the Utah County Republican Party, and it all bases around the movement of money through the Utah County Republican Party, <laughs> which is fantastic because. I don't know if our listeners remember, but I happen to be the treasurer, <laughs> which means tomorrow morning I get to go give a deposition on the exact amounts and and the you know how money came in, how money went out. Uh, I, I was I was notified earlier today to say, hey, we need you to come in give a deposition. Are you available tomorrow morning? I said, yeah, I, I suppose. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure, I'm certain this is going to hit the news, at least here in Utah. Uh, if you want to check out the Provo Daily Herald, I believe it's thedailyherald.com. <laughs> uh, I, I, I know that the, there's no way this doesn't make at least the Provo newspaper because it's going to be a pretty big deal. Um, so I, the way you say it there makes kind of makes it sound like Joey was laundering money for someone <laughs> from the Utah County Republican Party. The, the accusation <laughs> is that a member of the party embezzled some money. And it's it's a false accusation in my opinion, and I have the documentation to back it up. I I you know, I was very careful, everything was done above board. Uh it's just you've got one person with a personal vendetta against the other so that the person with the vendetta has made statements both publicly and in print that are not factual and damaging to the personal character. And so there is a, a lawsuit from the other party coming back libel and slander. Oh, this is fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a bunch of knuckleheaded nonsense, in my where, opinion. Where are you? Ha do you have to come back to Salt Lake to, to do this deposition? No, it's going to be in Utah County. Okay. All right. It's odd that they're doing it on a Saturday, though. Is it just going to be That was like to some... accommodate me. Oh, okay. That's, that's nice. I, I explained to them that it's really hard for me to get available to them because they're all in Utah County. That's where, that's where the action's being brought. I work in Salt Lake City, and so they are making themselves available on Saturday morning for me to come in. Is this at, like, some county courthouse? or I think it's at a lawyer's office. Lawyer's That's, office. Yeah, they, they gave me an address. I haven't looked it up yet, but based on the, the conversation, I believe it's going to be at the lawyer's office. Okay. All right. Well, we look forward to uh, hearing about this. I assume <laughs> after I bail you out of jail. Um, <laughs> have we put aside some bail money from uh, the from the, the Kickstarter from the Kickstarter campaign? <laughs> oh boy. Um, okay. Well, yeah. Good luck with that. Um, I don't think you'll get arrested, but who knows? You you may start spouting some rhetoric there that's just going <laughs> to inflame them all. It, it'll be interesting. Okay. 
Facebook find of the week then. Okay. I am going to give this to Fishhead. Uh, he found a link, posted it up. He posted a few things up there. Which, by the way, I'm, I should just say this. Any BuzzFeed links, I'm never going to give those the win. I'm not even, a fan of BuzzFeed. I don't even know what that is. BuzzFeed? Yeah. Do you internet much? Mm, the the internet I use is very different from the internet <laughs> that you use. It's basically, it's a place where you can go and create, well, not you personally, but I get, assume editors can go in and create what I think are just silly lists. Um, and, you know, top, like, uh, top 25 reasons why women are weird. Okay. You know, stuff top like Top 10 that. things your dog is thinking while you're at work. Right, right. <laughs> I believe that probably is one of them. Anyway, that, that's aside. I um, the the winner is is for the the computer game. I think it's for He Man for He Man. I love the idea of that. It didn't look like it was complete or finished. It looked like maybe there was more to to come from it. But just the idea. So did you actually watch the video, the playthrough video? Uh-uh. I didn't either. Not not a lot of time. Um, but I don't care. It's He-Man, <laughs> and I'm going to love it. So congratulations, Fishhead. That was a great Facebook find of the week. Have you tried going back and watching any He-Man? That oh, that, sh- that show has not aged well. Awful. All of them are I, awful. I, I want to say He-Man is a special kind of, of awful. Except for Scooby-Doo. Hmm. Scooby-Doo is wonderful. Um, okay, so congratulations, Fishhead. You will continue to not receive an award. Uh, top five. Okay. Now, we have our list to, to do, but I mentioned... Big lists. Big lists. Is that just they typed in a large font? <laughs> no, that would have been almost preferable. Okay. I direct that mainly at, uh, at Fishhead because you... Hit, Let's just call it an exhaustive list. Okay, it's it's really fantastic. He went to, he spared no expenses. It's, it's pretty awesome. But also JD. Oh, good to hear from JD again. Okay, so he says, and by the way, he sent this I think um, before he had had a chance to listen to podcast one eighty four. Okay, so anyway, he doesn't have this week's. Oh, list, he's got last which week's. is. Non-traditional animated films. Let me just start in with his email. Yes, I'm sending this in after 184, before 185. Because, well, because. Fair enough. (laughs) Maybe it's because I forgot, or maybe because I'm keeping you guys on your toes, or maybe because I have free will. Or a bit of all of the above. How are humans still the dominant species on this planet? <laughs> um, that's that's a great list. I'd love to hear your your top five reasons for that. Uh, please send them in. A he oops posable thumbs. So he then starts into his list. Top five traditional hand drawn animated movies. Number six. I'll just ignore that top five there. (laughs) Number six, Disney's Sleeping Beauty. Number five, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Number four, Disney's Tarzan. Number three, G.I. Joe the Movie. Number two, Justice League Crisis on Two Earths. Interesting. Number one, Disney's Aladdin. 
Okay. Backtracking a bit on past TrekQuest 5 lists. Oh, okay. Top five favorite holidays. Number five. <laughs> I don't remember if anyone did this. Captain Picard Day. Did somebody have <laughs> that on their so. list? That's awesome. Uh, no, maybe Brainy did, because he did top five alien holidays, didn't okay. he? Maybe that I was on his list. Who knows? Uh, number four, Veterans Day. Number three, Halloween. Number two, Christmas. And number one, uh, Peter, Peter Nash, Nash Day. Day. Woo! <laughs> I've created a monster. <laughs> Top five favorite ice cream flavors. Number five, Moose Tracks. Number four, Caramel Swirl. Number three, Neapolitan. Number two, French Vanilla. Number one, any peanut butter. I don't think I've ever had peanut butter ice cream. I'm assuming he means anything that has peanut butter. Oh, in it. okay. I assume like a swirl of peanut butter kind I don't of thing. Know. Maybe I, I've seen ice cream with peanut butter in it, so I maybe it exists in other forms. Top five favorite Marvel mutants. Number five, Rain Wolfsbane Sinclair. Number four, Jonathan Chamber Starsmore. I don't know that one. Chamber? Yeah. I think that's X-Force, if I can remember my X-series correctly. Hmm. Number three, Clarice Blink Ferguson. That's, that one's kind of a new one to me as well. Number two, Remy Gambit LeBeau. Number one, Nathan Cable Dayspring Summers. Hmm. Top five sports to watch slash play. Number five, cricket. Snort. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I is is he serious with that or not? I don't know. I, all I know, the only thing I know about cricket is that Douglas Adams thinks it's like the worst thing ever. <laughs> That's the extent of my knowledge of the game of cricket. Uh, he started out the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide with uh, there's a cricket game at some point, wasn't there? Yeah, and it was like it, it turns out that cricket is actually the reenactment of a Horrible intergalactic slaughter. <laughs> All right. Continuing on, number four, air hockey. Number three, mini golf. Number two, mini golf. Number one, mini golf. You, you should try more sports. <laughs> maybe maybe take, saying, a, take a break from mini golf. I think Just you'll find saying. some time. <laughs> the way you're going to hunch over there, it's not good for your back. Uh, so what's next for Track Quest Five after BSG? Has it been discussed or even decided on yet? I'm not going to get my hopes up again for Sports Night. You two have dashed that hope too many times now. Have any other listeners made suggestions? What about suggestions by John Madsen in his Ringo Star worn jacket? <laughs> um, those, uh, by the way, those those were all good suggestions. We liked all of those. Um, how come Bob, Jim, M, Flamingo, et al. don't write in anymore? Oh. <laughs> I miss their input on everything, uh, JD. Um, yeah, I think uh, the Bobs, uh, they're probably just not following along with the, with this. I think they enjoyed BSG. I don't think it was a big deal for them. 
Um, Jim, I think, has moved on, literally. Yeah. I, I don't think he even listens anymore. Um, M actually does write in. Yep. We've got an email from him today. Well, that, that, I, I, I find it to be ironic that JD, of all people, mm-hmm. is complaining about how often M writes in. Uh, and Flamingo, yeah, she, I, I don't know what's happened to her. I think we lost her back when we finished West Wing. She died. She's dead. Thank you, Kim. <laughs> um, okay, so that's the end of JD's email. JD, thank you very much. It, it is um, awesome that you spent that uh, time putting together all of those backlists <laughs> um, and good thoughts from all of them. Uh, let's see here. That's there. So we should go to... Yeah, let's hit listener M. Okay. He says, hey, Sir Pete and Sir Joey. Ah, I've been knighted. Maybe you need another intern to be in charge of sending out the emails every week. (laughs) That was harsh. That was me. (laughs) It sounds called for to me. I I already apologized for that. Let's just move on. Um, It would be nice to have a little more warning to get more responses. But hey, we're all busy in our lives, so not a big deal. On another topic, I enjoyed listening to JR watch a Star Trek for the first time do their live stream. It's fun to be able to interact with the hosts in the chat room. Have you all thought about live streaming one of your shows? It would be pretty awesome to hear a show before editing. (laughs) We've Uh, thought about it. We've even talked about it. I think historically there's a reason for this, which is we usually did it super late at night. Which, for some people, that, that may not be a big deal. Um... I don't really know much about it. I'm not super pumped. Yeah, I, th- I think the, I think it. the biggest thing holding it back is that neither you nor I cares to invest the time to figure out how to get it all set up and working. Yeah, and then plus the, we'd have to keep track of the screen. I'd feel bad if anyone made a comment and I didn't see it and didn't comment on it. Um, I so yeah, I don't see it happening. I don't know. Maybe if we uh, do a special podcast, we plan one some at some point. John can come in and show us how to get. You know, maybe we use his UStream channel and uh, have the intern just sit there and read the screen and let us know <laughs> when there's something worth commenting on. And then there's the other sad part. What if there's nothing for the intern <laughs> to read? Oh, I'll I'll be over here texting him things. <laughs> Uh, okay, his top five list. The Incredibles. An example of great storytelling that drew me in from start to finish. Number two, Toy Story. One of the few movie trilogies where the sequels are just as good, if not better than the original story. Not sure I agree with you on number <laughs> two. Three was interesting, though. Three was really it went to a dark place. It really did, yeah. And I remember Curtis, our, our friend Curtis, mentioning, um, yeah, there's this one scene that's like really disturbing. I can't believe they show kids this. Uh, and it's the scene, I, I didn't, I hadn't seen it, you know, It uh, and it, he let me borrow his copy. And I remember watching that, and when the scene came by, I thought, Oh my gosh! Are you serious? This is a scene at the near the end where they're in the uh, recycling plant, or the okay. and they're they're the there's the furnace that's yep. burning everything, 
at a certain point, they all just get this kind of resigned look on their face. Okay. They look at each other like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, I guess let's all hold hands together as we accept <laughs> death? Are you kidding me? <laughs> wow. You should finish Harry Potter sometime. <laughs> I think I'm the only one on this podcast who actually has. Um, anyway, I, I liked number three. Three was good. Two, eh, I'm not this old one. Number three, Finding Nemo. A great tale about the need for parents to let their children have an adventure. Uh, couldn't disagree with you more on this. Uh, Nem- Finding Nemo was terrible. It was awful. I hated every minute of it. Really? Yes. Interesting. Under the water. There's this one particular scene. Two particular scenes. There are, there are multiple three. scenes. <laughs> um, Amongst the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it was a movie I went to, and there was this girl that I liked that was there. So it was ended up being kind of a group thing. Wanted to sit next to her. Didn't get to be able to sit next to her. This other dude I don't did. think you should take that out on Pixar. <sighs> Uh, <laughs> back to the movie there was this scene where the the U-boat the submarine starts to tip over okay. and there's this massive chasm below you can't see into it it's so big and so dark and that scene like I get really really nervous Interesting. about that okay. um, and then the other scene the worst of them all was we see the top of the water. This is near the the shore. This is in the, um, not the ferry, wherever they park boats. Marina. Sure, Marina. That's good. There, you can see this ship, and it's bobbing. And it's, you know, it's on the water, and you're, I, I thought I was literally trapped under the water and could not get above i gasped for air interesting i hate the ocean hate the idea of being stuck out in the middle of this water because i I, i'm not i'm not a great swimmer and if there's one thing in this world that we do not control it is the oceans and scares me to death and the robots no, I'm, I'm good with robots. Robots die with guns, eventually. <laughs> um, number four, Monsters, Inc. slash Monsters University. Didn't see the universities one, did you? It was okay. It was, it was cute. Okay. Number five, wasn't a huge fan of Monsters, Inc., by the way. It was, okay. It was I, okay. I liked Monsters, Inc. a lot more because of the relationship between uh, Sully, the big blue monster, and the little girl. Uh, my daughter calls me Kitty, you know, in reference to that movie right right i think i have roughly the same build as sully yeah yeah roughly the same amount of hair as well. <laughs> number five a bug's life a great retelling of aesop's fable the ant and the grasshopper uh someone was telling me the other day our our boss reed he was saying you know a bug's life is really actually a retelling of seven samurai oh I can see that. Yeah. Interesting. And, well, it's true. Uh, the Ant and the Grasshopper is an Aesop's Fable thing. Um, I He explained a number of scenes, and it was like, 
yeah, I kind of get yeah. where you're getting that from. I'll have to ask him about that. I'd like to hear, because I, I can think of one or two. I'd like to hear his rundown. Okay. All right. Now, we are going to Listener Fishhead, and he's going to give us traditional films, the traditionally animated ones, because he didn't send in a list okay. last week. And then there is going to be non-traditional animated films. Um, so let me just uh, just show you here is, uh, the, the email, as you can see okay. from my iPad. Traditional films, honorable mentions. Looks like four or five. Some notes on some of Disney. <laughs> and then we get top five-ish. And then the non-traditional animated films, honorable mentions. <laughs> and top five-ish. Good heavens, Dean. I, I would have thought... I, just surprised that there are that many. I did not see you as that prolific of a movie watcher. Maybe we so offended him last week that he felt he needed to set the record straight. <laughs> Maybe that's that's probably true. Um, okay, so let's get, let's jump into this. Hear what he has to say about traditional films. Honorable mentions: Nausicaa of the Valley mm. of the Wind. I like that one. Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away, um, all from Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, Miyazaki. Visually stunning, but stories don't resonate with me. The Secret of Nim. If they had stuck closer to the book. <laughs> um, were you telling us a little bit about uh, why they didn't stick as close to the book? I could talk about that. Did I? Have I, told I, think, I, I think you might It may have, have just been you and I. Maybe. I'm not sure I ever said that on the air. Um, the Land Before Time. Simple, but a great story. And Anastasia. A bit uneven. From Don Bluth. Gulliver's Travels by Max Fleischer never quite reached the level of Disney's Snow White. Snow White, The Jungle Book, Treasure Planet, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, Pinocchio, and Hercules, all from Disney. Notes on some of the Disney. I would I probably wouldn't include Snow White if it wasn't for its place in animation history and the great scene where the wicked stepmother turns herself into the old woman. I try to watch that one scene at least once a year. Wow. If it weren't for the Sherman Brothers music, The Jungle Book probably wouldn't still be rewatched as much. Uh, with Hercules, I love the Greek visual styling mashed with gospel slash Motown music. Yeah, that was cool. The smarmiest villain in any Disney movie. And miscellaneous pop references. Take out Danny DeVito singing, and it might have made my top five. <laughs> uh, good choice in character for Danny DeVito, though. Yeah. Uh, he didn't really need to stretch there. <laughs> The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh breaks the fourth wall so smartly in ways no other movie has done. Great songs and great adaptations of Milne's characters. Although I could do without the gopher who is not in the book, as he constantly reminds us. Winnie the Pooh's story works on so many levels, it is much deeper than many realize. And this series of stories manages to capture some of this with unforgettable Sherman Brothers songs to boot. I never, ever made that connection. 
I'm not in the book. Yeah, that's clever. Pinocchio has the classic Disney art style, and Jiminy Cricket is one of the greatest Disney characters ever. Okay. Um, I don't even really remember watching Pinocchio. I know I've seen it. What I remember most about Pinocchio is that I had this match card game where, you know, you... you Flip them over? Yeah. See if you can find where they all are at. And, you know, if you get a match, then you get to keep the cards, get points. Um, yeah, I, I remember that way more than I remember the movie. I remember the uh, the island where all the bad kids go and they get to drink and smoke and play pool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, top five-ish. Sleeping Beauty from Disney. I love the adaptation of Tchaikovsky's music and the medieval style of art, especially in regards to perspective. Maleficent and her demons and goblins are pretty frightening for a kid's show. Prince of Egypt uh, from DreamWorks. Hot off the Lion King and starting a new company, Jeffrey Katzenberg got top talent for songs and a unique animation style to retell this this well-known story in a fresh way. The 2D telling of uh, of the killing of the Israelite babies done as Egyptian relief is unforgettable. Besides bringing Steve Martin and Martin Short back together, was inspired, <laughs> and, uh, and it even has Patrick Stewart. I'm going to throw a flag on this one. I don't believe that is traditionally animated. I believe there are CGI elements in that movie. The water. I don't know. Mm. It's been too long. I think I only saw it like one and a half times. So I don't have opinions one way or the other. I would tend to lean towards uh, traditional just because of the time in which it came out, the era in which it came out. Uh, Let's see here. The Hobbit from Rankin-Bass. Technically, this was made for TV and never shown in theaters, but it could have been. It is a great retelling of The Hobbit that stays closer to the actual book than the current version playing in theaters. There are a couple of very minor uh, additions, and just a few things were skipped over, but it is very true to the original. Nearly all of the dialogue and all of the lyrics to the songs sung by characters come straight out of the book. I could do without the green wooden elves, but so much else works. The Iron Giant Brad Bird got to show his stuff. And a tie. Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, from Disney. Beauty and the Beast is one of the most real love stories in any movie. And Lion King is one of the very few animated Disney movies that really deals with adult themes. Um, Love story? I'm on Reddit a lot. I've seen this come through multiple times on their their funny subreddit um, where they talk about, you know, what really happens, you know. One of the things that are like, oh, a real love story from Beauty and the Beast? Uh, just, it just kind of seems like, um, uh, what's the, um, blanking on this now. What happened to Patty Hearst? Stockholm Effect. Oh, Stockholm Syndrome? Stockholm Syndrome. Um, 
because it's like, <laughs> oh, you've kept me prison for for this long. I guess I'll fall in love with you. <laughs> guess this is all I have. That's an interesting I, I take I, on I it. I guess I really do love you. Um, but the magic worked. You know, it was real, true love, which is maybe how I should do it. <laughs> Okay, he gets into his non-traditional animation films. This is getting harder to define as even all movies, not just traditionally animated, have more and more CGI, but here goes my list. He brings up a good point. Brings up a very good point. We did not specifically say it had to be the full movie that was okay. animated. Okay. I, 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 yeah, the, I hadn't uh, thought about that. The challenge stands. The call is reversed. <laughs> Honorable mentions. Flag. I am not including any of the Rankin Bass holiday shows that were made for TV because I don't think any of them would work in a theatrical release. Even the one they did release in the theaters, Mad Monster Party, didn't work in the theater. I have no idea what he's talking about. Uh, Henry Selleck Stop Motion, The Nightmare Before Christmas. A few years ago, this would have been in my top five. And Coraline. Hmm. CGI based uh, on works from William Joyce. Robots. Meet the Robinsons. Rise of the Guardians. Epic. Miscellaneous CGI based on children's books. Shrek. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Who wouldn't have thought? Uh, Who would have thought? It is very different from one of my childhood favorite books, but it works. Horton Hears a Who, the best full-length adaptation of a Dr. Seuss story. How to Train a Dragon. From Disney, Tangled. From Ardman Animation, Arthur Christmas, Flushed Away. Curse of the Were-Rabbit and Chicken Run. Only seen one of those. <laughs> Top five-ish. I am re- I am having a really hard time coming up with a top five for this one. So here is my attempt. The Corpse Bride. Any Pixar, Monsters University and Cars 2 were unnecessary, so I would probably move them to honorable mention. But there are, but they are still better than 80% of the movies that are released annually. I still get teary-eyed watching uh, most of them, regardless of how many times I have seen them. Lassiter is a storytelling genius. If I had to choose four to round out my top five, today they would be Brave, Monsters, Inc., Up, Hands down, one of the best love stories ever told yeah. in the first ten minutes. And The Incredibles. Who would have thought that an animated superhero's 60s agent, uh, secret agent story could capture the essence of marriage and family? So, good list, Dean. Um, thank you very much for taking the time to, uh, to write all of that up, because that was a lot to write up. Um <laughs> So that that was pretty cool, uh, Joey. What? Uh, Nothing from Brainy. No, he doesn't have a list. Okay. He's got okay. uh, Brainy's Book of Darkness, but no list. Okay, for uh, honorable mention, I am going to give a nod to Frozen. 
as I mentioned when I covered this in Joey's Culture Corner, really enjoyed this movie. Um, uh, the only reason I didn't put it in my top five is I feel like maybe part of the appreciation I have for this movie is its newness. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe as you know, I get some temporal distance from it, it'll you know some of that will wear off. But was really surprised and pleased by that movie. And uh, the other one is Through a Glass Darkly. This is a rotoscope animated film. That's where they filmed the movie and then they had a mechanical thing animate over top of the actual filmed version, filmed oh, neat, scenes. Neat. Uh, it stars Keanu Reeves and it's the interpretation of a Philip K. Dick novel. Uh, it was it was really well done. The only reason I can't put it in my top five is because it was so dense and hard to understand what was going on. Because the main plot of, of the book and then of the movie is that most of the major characters are on heavy hallucinogenic drugs most of the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to tell what is actually going on, what is the real story, and what is just hallucination. I, I struggled a lot with it. Enjoyed it for what it was, but you know, couldn't come out giving it one of my top five nods. Uh, number five is is kind of a. I, I should point out here. I'm I'm gonna try and go with in, in my top five. I decided since we had some time to think about it, I wanted to cover five different non traditional styles. Or I think I only ended up with four, but I tried for five, <laughs> just didn't get there. Uh, so number five is. Drive the surprising truth about what motivates us. And this is done in a style called multi sketching, and it's uh, you've seen them before. It's the RSA Animate is the company that is doing them right now. It's where the guy's writing on the whiteboard, drawing a little mm-hmm. caricature as someone is talking, and, sure. and then they speed it up so that the two line up. Uh, number four is James and the Giant Peach, which I went back and looked is stop motion, not digital. Mm. Uh, I, I, I always enjoyed the music, and it's a rolled doll story. You know, I, I enjoy it. A little, you know, a few differences from the from the novel, but I still enjoyed it for that. Number three is the Nightmare Before Christmas. Again, this is stop motion. You have Tim Burton, Danny Elfman on music and vocals. Just a fantastic movie. Never seen it. Really, really don't think I'm ever going to bother to see it either. I, I think you're missing out. I enjoy it. Uh, number two is Alexander Petrov's Old Man and the Sea. Uh, this is done in a style that's known as painting on glass. And so what he does is he takes a, a slow drying material and he paints it on glass, takes a photo, and then he manipulates what's on the glass to change it into another piece of art over a period of time and taking photos at different different scenes and he does you know there's there are instances where it's clear he changed the piece of glass but the way the art the different scenes morph into each other because it's done with this slow drying material and you know done on a, on a sheet of glass it's really fantastic hmm. you can find it on youtube this actually won the uh i think it was the 1999 oscar for animated short uh, obviously inspired by the uh hemingway story really really cool you should go check it out and uh, my number one, I, I, I have a hard time putting into words how much I enjoy this. It is my favorite thing Pixar has ever done, has, has been since I saw it the first time, and, and seems unlikely where I'm sitting tonight that it will ever be dethroned. Bounding, 
This is the animated short that came in front of The Incredibles. And it's the story of a jackalope and a lamb. Uh, and it's it's all about self-worth and finding finding your own sense of self-worth. It's done in the style of cowboy poetry, which I really enjoyed. And just the, the lyrical quality, the way it's written, the animation, all of those things work together so very well for me that I, I've never enjoyed anything animated more than I enjoy bounding. Hmm. Uh, I don't even remember that from before the Incredibles movie. I have I, I can't even think of um like looking back I'll show it to you. It's what, good what it is. Um no you don't need to. Uh honorable mention. Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Okay. Because it's one of the ones I could remember <laughs> that wasn't Pixar. Which by the way, my this I was uh, almost Ended up making a joke about how um, this was uh, top five non-traditional animated movies. Also, top five Pixar movies. <laughs> since really, they're the top ones that are out sure. there. Um, uh, the other um, uh, honorable mention is Brave. Uh, it's about Scottish people. Okay. Really made me feel again on the inside. Uh, it's a good story, though. And uh, it was funny. So, top five. Um, number five goes to Wally because they managed uh, to tell a, a cute, fun story. Plus, they had um, Fred. Um, oh, he's the only real human that we see in this uh, movie. He is. He's the, the pilot. Or maybe, no, he was the president. We see a lot of real humans in this movie. No. Yeah. When he gets to the ship, there's a whole ship full of humans that are fat, overweight slobs and those zipping are around on couches. Real? Those are actual real people like you and I are actual real oh, people? Oh, well, then, then you, you, you can still say we see a lot of real people because he watches Hello, Dolly. He watches the movie no, Hello, Dolly. Well, I'm not counting that okay. because those weren't the characters who were acting I see. in the movie. This guy at the very beginning, the, the planet is falling apart. They are... He's like coming on board. Okay, well, this is uh, here's what's happening. We all need to get on board this ship now. Uh, that actor, his name is Fred something. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, Willard. It, it might be. <laughs> I don't know. I just Probably made that up. Not. I think. <laughs> He's the guy. Um, you saw um, Dog Show. Yeah. Um, he is. He's in that movie. He's in those series of movies that are like that. Yep. Uh, we'll have to look it up. Um, it's not Fred McMurray, though, uh, just uh, in case anybody's wondering. Not that guy. Number four, How to Train a Dragon. I really enjoyed that movie. Apparently everyone liked that movie better than I did. I enjoyed the heck out of that movie. I thought it was okay. It It's not spectacular. I mean, it's never going to But it's in make... your top five. Of non-traditional animated movies, this there, list there, is there incredibly aren't, specific. There aren't this, five Pixar movies that you liked no. better than How to Train Your Dragon. No. Okay. I mean, I've already mentioned how I didn't like Monsters Inc. that much. Didn't like Finding Nemo that much. Ratatouille was okay. It was all right. Um, Wreck It Ralph. Not a fan. Uh, it, okay. Again, it was okay. Okay. Um, it's your list. I'll let you be wrong however much yeah, you want. Yeah, they're making a new one, and it's supposed to be around centering around his mother, his lost mother, which I'm not 
just let the mother be dead. That would just make the story so much easier, you know, or sorry, better. Um, okay, number three is The Incredibles. That's a super fun movie. Yeah, that and is a good one. I'm surprised that they really haven't done an Incredibles 2. And I don't know if there's one in production. I don't really follow movies that closely. But it, it is. it just seems like that would be such a home run for them to do that again. They would make buckets of money. I hope they do it and do it as a Teen Titans kind of thing where it's the kids going out. It's like the yeah, next sure. generation. It could be the kids are kind of grown up a little yeah. bit more. Uh, you know, angsty teenagers who who doesn't love to watch that. Um, <laughs> a, a, anyway, with I superpowers, I, I, I don't want to disparage. It, 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 it's a great movie, um, all about family coming together, and it, it's good. Uh, I like it. Number two, Despicable Me. Yeah, uh, Steve Carell voices Gru, um, who is this evil um, mastermind who does all of these horrible criminal acts. I can't remember. It's been too long. I watched it with my niece, uh, one of my nieces, and it was just one of those times. It was just she and I, and so it was just a pleasant experience sure, yeah. to to be with her. So it's it's probably more the experience of of watching it with her uh, than the movie itself. But the movie itself is still really pretty good. It's a, it it tugs on the heartstrings in a couple of places too. Number one uh, absolutely has to go to Toy Story. Um, one of the premier stories the the animation is great all of the callbacks who are you know our our kids history of toys that yeah. we've seen um it's just a, a just a sincere home run toy story would make a you know be in the you know the top lists of general movies you know if i did put a top 25 or top 50 you know something that potentially could easily make it in there Interesting. Okay. Uh, because of how good it is so, everybody, thank you very much for sending in your list. We have not chosen the next week's list, uh, unless you've got something off the top didn't of your JD head. Didn't J.D. send in a suggestion? What was that? Um, I don't think he did. I can check here really quick. I, it feels like he might have, but I I don't know. Okay, J.D., um, keep you on your toes. No. Uh, top five. No, I'm not seeing anything. Okay, then I have one off the top of my head. Top five dramatic male roles in film. Um, dramatic. Are we talking non-action movies? Yes. Yeah, in a drama. Uh, so it's basically people sitting around talking. <laughs> yeah. Right. The kind of movie Aaron would hate. Yes. <laughs> Um, okay, well, that's good to know. Um, I'm okay with that list. I'm all right with okay. that. Top five dramatic leading men. No, the role. What the role that they played. Oh, good hell. <laughs> oh, this is the worst list idea we've ever had. <laughs> okay, top five leading dramatic leading men. <laughs> I, I'm willing to bend on that point. <laughs> Uh, yeah, now that I'm thinking about it more, I'm starting to get more and more angsty about this. Uh, how am I going to come up with it? All right, I don't state it again. What is what is the list that you're looking for? Top five dramatic, top five male roles in a drama. Let's put it that way. Male roles in a drama. Yep. 
So we're looking for the character in this film. Yes. So pick your t- favorite five dramas and then pick your favorite male character from the drama. Can't we just do top five favorite colors? <laughs> <laughs> not, were, we, were we supposed to do top five grass uh, grasses as well I, i'm not sure i could pick five colors i like uh, john would have a hard time with that list uh, sorry john didn't mean to poke fun at your color blindness um all right well if everybody heard what joey said go and do that send in your lists and uh, don't wait for my email send in your list now because who knows when I send out the emails. Uh, let's have Joey's Culture Corner. Okay. I have been I've been wrestling with this one for a long time. Actually, almost since the... In a in, metaphorical sense. Yes, in a metaphorical sense. Okay. Almost since the introduction of Joey's oh, Culture Corner. No, 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 no. We forgot Brandy's Snook of Darkness. Okay. I even had this out here. Crap. That would have been bad. Um, I thought you were going to go to him after for some reason. I, no, I sh- uh, no, no. You, you, you're a cleanup hitter. <laughs> uh, that's what you do. All right. Sorry, Brainy. Sorry, Joey. Uh, Brainy says, "Sup, dudes. Hope I reach you in time. And if I do, we're going to check out another sweet novel by Alistair Reynolds for Brainy's Milk of Darkness." <laughs> I, of course, meant Nook of Darkness, but this voice tech wants it to be milk. It also seems to want to type once... Uh, it also seems to want to type once instead of once. Nonetheless, this week we highlight the novel House of Sons by Alistair Reynolds. I will not spoil this book, and I will keep my report brief. However, the main theme is just too pertinent towards these particular episodes of BSG not to mention it this week. In the House of Sons, we follow a pair of clones who are six million years old, thereabouts. They are two of 1,000 clones sent out with the objective to explore the galaxy. There is an amazing character whom is of an artificial intelligence race known, um, known as the Machine People. His name is Hesperon. He is kind of like a hybrid between C-3PO and Captain Mal of Firefly. (laughs) Wow, that's... (laughs) Wow. That's quite the juxtaposition there. (laughs) Anyway, the similarities of BSG are in the notion of a machine race and a human race at war. And the big idea is a beautiful confluence of plot building. Involving how an enlightened being might not even have the need to conceptualize revenge and vengeance. There is also one more sweet character who, over the course of who knows how long, somehow turns his consciousness into an enormous cluster sentient nanomachine. Big ideas and a great message, something that is hard to accomplish in equal parts, but I think House of Sons pulled it off. So I highly recommend it. Additionally, I look forward to covering another one more of Reynolds' sweet novels, Revelation in Space, in a couple of weeks with Joey for one more edition of Joey's Culture Nook. Yay! It's actually Revelation Space, I think, is his text-to-voice, or voice-to-texting 
probably mistyped that on him there. Um, yeah, it's just Revelation Space. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Joey's Culture Corner. Okay. So when I when I first thought of the idea of Joey's Culture Corner, this was one of the books I wanted to cover. I've held off until now because it was part of a series of books that was not finished yet. Uh, it, w- it was finally finished in October of 2013. And I, I know I've mentioned it before on, on the podcast and there's some people who didn't care for it. They, they complained about it. But I'm just going to stick this out there. Lord Fowl's Bane by Stephen Donaldson. How dare you? Have you read this? No, I've okay. never even heard of it. Okay. Uh, Pete, probably not going to recommend you go out and read it. <laughs> Here's but the thing. Those are good. Uh, th- those are really good <laughs> to actually get those types of recommendations. Um, I love this book. I really, really love the entire series. But there are a lot of valid complaints against it. The first one being, the at least in the majority of the first trilogy, the main character is an antihero far more than he is a hero uh the the main character it starts off in our world just you know it's it, the guy's a writer and he develops leprosy okay and uh his wife leaves him takes their infant son he has to develop this habit because he can't feel you know cuts and scrapes and things like that he has to develop this habit of constantly checking his extremities for any kind of damage if he bumps into the corner and it gets cut then it will get gangrenous and then real health problems start to set in otherwise the the leprosy is manageable the the, lep- the form of leprosy is the kind that just causes loss of sensation one of the side effects of this form of leprosy and they give it they, they have the name the medical name for it in the book i can't remember it now one of the side effects is I don't know any nicer way to put this inability to get an erection. And at the beginning of the, of the first book, he gets hit on the head and he travels to a magical fantasy place called the land capital T capital L where there is a a substance that can heal him of his leprosy and allow him to feel again. And because this guy is so emotionally broken, so fundamentally flawed as a person, the first thing he does when he gets his emotion back is to go out and rape a, ch- uh, a child, I think, is a, a young girl. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I told you not to read it. I just want to be clear. I said don't I, read I, this book. I'm just putting that up next to, I really like this book. Yes. I really like this series. It, it's not, it's not, uh, what's the term you shared? You've shared bizarre ones before. Yeah. Like the, the story about the guy who goes back in time and rapes himself. Yeah, <laughs> molests himself. <laughs> yeah, it, I don't remember that one. All I remember The man who folded himself. That. Yeah. Um, I, I lost my train of thought. So, well, you had just mentioned the really the horrible thing. Yeah, the it, it's this isn't George R. R. Martin. The, the rape is not explicit. It's not in any way trying to be erotic. It's a description in fairly medical terms of a terrible thing that a terrible person did. And this is his attempt to just feel, or this is what he does after he is able to feel again in That's right. the land. Yes. 
part of the his reasoning, his self justification for doing this is he he refuses to accept that the land is a real place. He thinks, you know, he's unconscious in a hospital somewhere, and that this is all just a big hallucination. He can feel again, so he goes out and does the most depraved act that is imaginable. Unfortunately, this does not snap him back to the hospital. He continues to live out life in the land, and now has to deal with the consequences of being in this realm. Not only being in this realm, but being the Messiah figure for the people in this realm. <laughs> oh my gosh! Now, <laughs> this is so he, terrible. It is. It, it, here, here's the thing. I I have no basis for what I'm about to say, other than having read the book and having lived the life I lived. But I strongly suspect that Stephen R. Donaldson is a victim of abuse. Because the way he describes the character, the actions the character takes, the emotional interludes we get from the character are exactly the things that I suffered from and many other people that I've talked to that are victims of, of childhood abuse suffer from. And it's this sense of numbing myself to protect myself from harm. And that's that's the leprosy, right? Mm -hmm. It becomes an emotional kind of leprosy. And I did, as a as a young person who was suffering from that, I did terrible, terrible things because it was the only way I knew how to feel was hurt. Mm -hmm. To hurt myself and to hurt others in many ways. So for me, this is a, a, an incredibly cathartic experience reading this, this series. Uh, especially because I read it at the time I was living a lot of this pretty dark period of my life. And, and to see this character come through these events and go, you know what? Obviously, I'm not the only one who feels this way. There's someone else out there who understands, who gets what I'm going through. That made it a little bit more tolerable for me. Uh, again, I, I, I held off because I wanted to see where the series ends. And I am going to go ahead and say, I don't think everyone will agree with me, but I'm going to go ahead and say at the conclusion of the 10th novel uh, in the series, the character is redeemed. He repents and he is redeemed of this mistake that he made. It's not an easy road. Now, some other complaints that people will file, because there may be people who hear that and go, well, you know what? I slogged through George R. R. Martin's stuff. Certainly I can read a book with only one incident of rape in it. <laughs> um, other complaints against Donaldson, he tends to overwrite. Uh, he, he really likes, <laughs> he likes vocabulary a lot. Uh, I often have to grab my dictionary when I'm reading through a Stephen R. Donaldson book, and I feel like I have a pretty expansive vocabulary. Um, I, I want to say it was O. Henry who made some comment at one point about never use a big word where a small word, small word would do, and Donaldson seems to feel the opposite. Use the biggest, most complex word for the thought that I can find you know, out there in my vocabulary. And he he's kind of... Uh, I would compare him in some ways to Robert Jordan where, you know, he likes to take these interludes. He likes to take these um, paths away from the main story because he is trying to build a mental image and an emotional state. He, he's trying to get you in a particular point where he can poke and manipulate where you are. Mm -hmm. uh, not every, that's not for everyone. Not everyone's going to like it. And again, the, they ne they will never let you forget throughout the whole course of the series. They're never going to let you forget that this character raped someone. It comes up over and over again. It doesn't happen again, but the consequences of that rape ripple through all 10 novels all the way down to the last minute. How, how does that not get old? Or is that the point you're making? 
It does get old. I, I think I think for some people that they probably will. Like I know uh, Curtis's wife Annie stopped mm-hmm. reading the book because she couldn't stand the fact, that even though it was only the one event, they're constantly referring back to it as you know whether it was whether it's the main character referring back to it as well. That's just my proof that there you know there's no God and there's no one watching out for anyone. Either this is all fake, you know, I'm I'm, I'm imagining all this or. I'm here really and things are just terrible and that's the way it is kind of thing. Or whether it's, you know, other characters reacting to it and things like that. It, it comes up a lot. But again, I, I go back to this is, in my opinion, this is a guy writing out what happened to him in one way or another, how he deals with what happened to him. Certainly for me reading it, that's the experience that it was. Very interesting. It, it took him 30 years to finish the series because he wrote, so it was it was done in it was originally going to be i think four novels and he collapsed that down to one trilogy and then he has a second trilogy and then the final tri- trilogy ended up being four books so <laughs> so so he's got jordan syndrome yeah, so he does. to speak he does and in, in, in a lot of aspects i think a lot of people would see similarities there but uh he, he when he finished the second trilogy he thought his quote is, I didn't feel I was a good enough writer to finish the story at that point. So he takes like a 20-year break from the series. Well, there wasn't even any indication that I had for that period. You know, I read these when I first read the first book, I think when I was 12 or 13 years old. Um, and I zipped through them real fast because they were written in the late 70s, early 80s. So they were all written before I came across them. Um, zipped through them real fast. Had no idea that there was any more story to be told until I think it was 2003. When, wow. when he published the first book in the last Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, the Unbeliever, which is the the name of the, the the series is the first Chronicles of Thomas Covenant, the Unbeliever, the second Chronicles, and then the final Chronicles. Um. Anyway, I like I said, this book is definitely not for everybody. There, there's a lot of things not to like about it, but if you think you might be able to appreciate this. You know, exploring that mindset of people who are victims of this kind of emotional or physical malnourishment, let's say. Um, I, I think that there are there are things that will in it that you can take away that will help you understand how maybe some people around you behave and why they react the way they do to certain things and maybe mm-hmm. why they treat people the way they do. Um, it, I give it a thumbs up, but with the caveat that it's not for everyone. Be careful reading it because it's pretty dark stuff. It, you know, as a whole, the series, it's really dark. There's a lot of bad stuff that happens to a lot of people. Not a lot of rape, but I mean a lot of emotional abuse and, and codependency and, and things like that. That You know, it's just kind of, he's very, he's very, you know, he spends most of the first nine books showing the dark side of humanity and the dark side of, of who the main character is than to try and redeem him in the last book, I felt it was successful. Hmm. Uh, so what was the name of the author again? Stephen R. Donaldson. And the first book in the first Chronicles of Thomas Covenant the Unbeliever is called Lord Fowl's Bane. Moving on to episodes, we are going to cover episodes 15 through 16 of Battlestar Galactica Season 4. And we'll start with episode 15, No Exit. Joey was totally right. Sam starts to swim in the same stream as the hybrids. Oh, and there's an Ellen alive out there somewhere, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
probably the best episode of answering questions. Okay. Uh, because I mean, we get yep. flooded. You kind of get a brain dump here. I could not keep up with that. I was trying to write down as we go along through here. I'm going to have you know various times where I'm like, oh yeah, and we learned this, but it's only a part of the real thing that they're learning um, in in this episode about a given you know Cylon history or human history, um, and it's I love it. It was good for that. I enjoyed that. Which Lost would have had an episode like that. <laughs> um, yes. Because not only do they answer a bunch of questions, but the answers don't feel cheap. And there's still enough playroom in there that you don't end up with this big letdown because the answers didn't pan out the way that, you know, you, as good as you would imagine them. They're all totally reasonable. Yeah. Number no, ah, uh, the resurrection of Ellen Tai, yep. um, which is, it's pretty cool because she's disoriented, not sure what's going on, scared, and then gets a hold of herself. It hits her, uh, and as we'll come to find out why later on, she had software that was blocking yeah. the the information, and suddenly it's, oh right. <laughs> um, okay, come over here, Centurion. Help me out of this tub. You can do that. Um, and she's she's back to the land of the living. This happened a year ago, 12 months ago. Yeah. And the next thing up is the surgery um, of Anders. As, you know, previous episode, he had just gotten shot. This is them right in, you know, right after that had happened. And they're... He's, he's talking babbling like a hybrid is. Yeah. And it's uh, the Doc Cottle's like, you know, look, this is just it's just gibberish. You know, he, he has some aphasia. Yeah. yeah. He can't really hear you. Um, and it's so funny because Starbuck keeps telling Cottle what to do. And Cottle's like, you know what? I'm. I'm doing it already. You know what? I, I, I can drill a hole. You know, we don't need to do this or that. And, uh, it's funny. One of the interesting things that we learn is that Ellen apparently made Cavill. Yeah. Which we'll also come to find out later on. It wasn't just Ellen. It was a group of what we know as the final five were the ones that fashioned it's interesting Cavill. to me that that's what you're focusing on in that scene because the thing that stood out for me the most in that scene was Cavill's known who the final five were all along. Yes. He's always known. In fact, it turns out later, he's the one that did this to them. <laughs> yep. He absolutely did. Yeah. Um, so, well, I guess maybe the reason I write that is because one of the reasons why I'm kind of creeped out by the six and tie pairing considering the fact that uh well i guess we'll get to it in more of the second episode but as i see this like ellen's the mother ty is the, the the father kind of because they were together uh anyway so i i key on that part of it because i think it's more interesting and especially the way that this goes is because the cavill is playing this role of <laughs> you know 
spoiled brat, petulant child, didn't get his way, unhappy with mom and dad, wah, wah, wah. Um, and so I'm going to trap them in human bodies and <laughs> kill all the humans. Uh, reasonable thing to do to your parents. Reasonable. <laughs> At least where technology is concerned. You know, I, I found it not a little bit disturbing how many of Cavill's points I thought were excellent points to be made. Oh, no. Yeah. For example, yeah. sleep, an extremely unproductive human attribute that for some reason you chose to write into our software. <laughs> yes. Um, it's interesting um, how much you are choosing to um, accept how much you and Cavill are alike. Here. <laughs> I'm just saying it was it was disturbing. I was like, no, he's right. Why should I have these fleshy orbs instead of some great piece of machinery that could, you know, see the entire EM spectrum. He's talking about uh, the supernova. He's like, yeah. hey, have you ever seen a sun supernova? No. I have. And I had to do it with these horrible, squishy, you know, eyes that you gave us. Uh, and he said, I want to be able to smell dark matter. And I want to be able to hear x-rays. Which is just like, I mean, that's cool. Yeah. That that is totally turning our senses on its head, you know, because uh, as a machine, he'd be able to sense things better and see it in a in what he thinks is a much better way. Um, and it's it's some pretty cool writing. Yeah. To, to have uh, someone he makes this. some compelling arguments. We should all be machines. Um. Well, <laughs> some of you already are. <laughs> You know, speaking of machines, I remember back in, uh, I guess, what you would call junior high. I was in eighth grade. They were in seventh grade. The teacher was pregnant, went on maternity leave. They had this extended uh, substitute teacher. Those seventh graders were awful to her. They were terrible jerks. And this, she didn't help herself. The substitute teacher. Okay. Did not help herself at all. She was very, I don't want to say wooden, but it just didn't seem like she had very much emotion to her. And there was one day where I heard the joke that they played on her, which was, hey, would you like a drink? And then their offer was motor oil (laughs) because she was a robot. Robot. Okay. I was like. You little, I mean, I'm only a year older than these kids, and I'm, sure. you know, I'm sounding like you, oh, you kids, you be nice to that lady. Um, but that's an awful thing to say <laughs> to someone. Um, yeah, they were awful. But as far as robots go, apparently in uh, in the eighth grade, I knew a woman who was close to it, or at least <laughs> could pass for one. What seven, seventh graders thought of her. Um, so Tyrrell gets his job back um, in a kind of nice scene. It's nice to see Tyrrell get a little bit of, hey, yeah, fine. Yeah, that's right. I Accept me. I, I've got a place to be now. I've got a home, got a place. All right, I'm here. There's a great line in that scene from Adama where he's talking to the ship, I think, and he says, we poisoned you. Like he's talking about how he... He, in his mind, the acts that he's done to keep humanity alive have kind of become conflated with the destruction of the ship. So the destruction of the, you know, the human race and the destruction of Galactica, 
are kind of you know story wise they're parallels for him it was it was sort of interesting i don't remember if it was this episode or the the you know it has to be this episode they talk about tyrell basically points out yeah there's these flaws all yeah. over the ship micro fractures and yeah. there is you know they cut corners you know places where it should be thicker metal it's not you know it's it's really you know just poorly done and and Adama is just aghast. They cut corners. <laughs> they they didn't do the job right on on the battle star. And I was just thinking, boy, he's he lived in a different kind of world where he assumed that uh, uh, there's a level of naivety, naivety there that's kind of surprising for someone his age. Indeed. So we skip over to Amber's, who comes out of surgery. He's awake. And he is remembering yeah. everything now. And I think someone had pointed you know, in the episode, someone had pointed out how Anders, you know, um, you know, oh, I, I don't have the answers to everything yeah. here. Oops. Yes, you do. <laughs> Just took a bullet to the brain to find him. <laughs> All right. So let's see my notes here. I've got sleep is unproductive process. Joey is a Cylon. <laughs> yep, That was the note I took. Um, interesting. This is Cavill and Ellen back and forth. She is talking about how Cavill, they're talking, Cavill hates the humans. Just can't let go of this, yeah. you know, how much he hates them. Um, and then Ellen kind of throws it back in his face, you know, yet you choose one of the things that makes humans humans, you know, the things that we despise yeah, about Yeah, revenge them, and murder and... Hatred and why is it that you focus on those things? And by the end of this episode, I'm just going to skip ahead here. I really think that Cavill was a mistake in in what they made. And they should have boxed him. Should have started over. Just get rid of the that whole line because it it's he doesn't seem redeemable. It doesn't seem like there's something to come back from. Um. Okay. One of the bombshells, the uh, or the not bombshells, information pieces, the research facility um, that they had, the Cylons had, were researching. Um, sorry, the organic technology, that research factory that uh -huh. we saw, we now come to find out where that came from. Um, which is, it was from COBOL, and the the Cylons, we learn, can have their own children. Or at least that's what was going on on Earth, which is why they did not need resurrection. Right. And as a result, the technology fell away, and these, these five people rediscovered it. Yes. Um, let's see. We get the scene with uh, Rosalind in the quorum room after the bodies have been taken away, but it's still it's a mess. You know, all of the bullet holes and and, and finally someone has the right idea, which is you know what? we're no longer from planets, we're from ships now. Right, and that comes from Lee. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> but we have a good conversation where Rosalind tells him, you know. You're going to be the guy, basically. You're you're the one who's in charge. I'm of the abdicating. I, I, I'm <laughs> stepping down, and it's it's clear. It's kind of the right thing here because she just does physically does not have the ability right. to do it. And he seems like he is a legitimately good leader to to take the the people. 
And she said, just remember that you should do the smart thing and not the right yeah. thing, which is a fault that she lays at Lee. Because all throughout the, the series, we've seen Lee do the right thing. It landed, it got, there was a lot of a trouble that really yep. kind of came from that. And I wonder, she brings a valid point, do the smart thing, not the right thing. It, in At least in the world of politics, that seems like the right thing is to do the smart thing. Does that make sense? I, I see your point. I, I, I don't know that I agree with that. I, I kind of, I hate to say this, I kind of look up to some of the decisions that Lee made. He took a stand. Okay. He said, you know what, this, whatever this thing is, this is what I'm being asked to do or what's happening, that's the wrong thing. What I, what I think, that seems like the right thing. And I think what maybe we could replace right thing with, that's the moral thing. Uh, because a lot of his decisions revolved around breaking his his oath to the military, mm-hmm. breaking his oath to the government. To breaking, his father. Yeah, to his father. And it, it's, it was, you know what, I feel this inside, this is, this is not right. And I feel like the, something else is the right decision and this is what it is. Versus what is the smart thing to do, which I would maybe change to, this is the political thing to do. Um, and and he makes the funny quip, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll try to be smart and wrong more often. Or something you, yeah. along those lines. Less dumb and more wrong. Yeah. Um, you seem to disagree with that maybe a little well, bit? Or what? Well, here's the thing. I, th- I think what we're seeing here is we're seeing... Lee is on one extreme of that spectrum, do the right thing and not the smart thing. And I think that our current political climate in the United States of America is maybe on the other side of that political spectrum in some ways where they do the smart thing rather than the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the answer is somewhere in between the two. There, there are times when you have to do the smart thing or else you're not going to be there for the truly important right things if you don't you know you have to be able to interesting to hear you say that you have to be able to give some ground and compromise on some of the less important issues boy the utah county republican party has changed you (laughs) where where's the joey i knew who he knew what was right (laughs) oh i know what's right (laughs) just saying i don't always do it (laughs) well but that that's really out of laziness right It seems to me that the easy answer is you do the right thing. It's I let me change that. It's not the easy thing. It's oftentimes the hard thing to do the right thing. But it can be boiled down that simply. Yes. Um, I, the the right thing should always be what we strive for and go after. I get that there are gray areas. I get that there is, you know, some terrible stuff that happens and so what might be considered the right thing is really hard on somebody um and it's not fair yeah i I get that but the right thing ought to be what we really try to do here's where i'm going to challenge you on this is that always doing the right thing assumes that you are an absolutely perfect judge of what's right in any given situation yes okay and 
And it leads to a form of extremism that I think is overall unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have to be able to keep your mind open to, you know what, maybe there is room for compromise on this issue. You know, not every single thing I ever talk about is life or death, good or evil. Sometimes it's shades of gray, as you mentioned. And sometimes it's just, you know what, you and I disagree. We're never going to agree. You see the world this way. I see the world that way. That doesn't mean we can't work together to find a good solution somewhere in the middle. Like and that's that. that's all I'm trying to say is that if we were all perfect judges of what's right at for everyone at all times, sure, I'm with you 100%. Yeah. I'm it, saying leave some room for the idea that maybe what you think is right today is, you know, you're not totally informed. Right. There's some other information out there that maybe educates you. So two, so two thoughts in relation to that. I'm glad you mentioned one of them. I'm going to restructure the way uh, it said is – What's the right thing in this situation may not be the right thing in a different situation. Right. And, you know, that that doesn't then become, okay, well, it was right in this scenario, so it has to be right in every other scenario, which would be false. It, that, that's not the case. And number two, it does presuppose that there is, um, I don't want to say a higher power, a higher being, but there is some fount of all... Rightness, rightness, that you <laughs> have, absolute that you can moral pull code. from and say, yeah. okay, well, yeah, that that totally, this is it. Here you go, go and and do this. Um, so that that's glad glad that you uh, you brought up those uh, um, points, differences. <laughs> Mine was right. Um, <laughs> Mine was smart. <laughs> Uh, okay, we see the the ship damage is widespread. I think that's where we, we learned some of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, one of the interesting things I thought w- was in here was Ter- Tyrrell's assertion that at least partially the damage to the ship can be blamed on the bucket drop. As awesome as it was, yep. it was incredibly destructive to the ship. Yep, for sure. For sure. Um, let's see here. Note. Centurion's... The the Cylons that we know, the, the faction, um, they were making the flesh models, oh. um, but ended the war. So that scene with Adama finding that ship, the Centurions were, were working on that. The war ended at that point because the, these five, these five or uh, yeah, made it from uh, uh, Earth. And finally met up with these other Cylons, and they made a deal to stop the war. We will give you resurrection technology. And we'll give you skin jobs, organics. So that changes the landscape uh, a bit. Um, We go back to Cavill, and he throws this line out that, you know, he was designed to be human. This is where he's talking about the eyes, and he's like, "Why would you choose this for us?" We have the the very cool scene of you know him talking about he wants how he wants to smell dark matter and hear X rays, etc. He, this is where I make the note. He is just angry for what we're going to come to find out. He wasn't loved enough, or loved <laughs> in the ways that he feels yeah. was enough. He, you know, he it did not seemed to him as though he was the favorite child and that was the thing that he wanted most yep and maybe there is something to the case of 
Ellen Ty was probably a terrible mother mother so to speak i mean everything that we've seen about ellen ty suggests <laughs> she would be awful at everything I think, I think we have plenty of evidence on that matter <laughs> yeah well, what was interesting we kind of blew through it but i didn't have a chance to make the comment that i wanted to at the beginning which was i'm curious to see if ellen ty is any better of a person now that she's resurrected and she has all her memories back you know how much of what was ellen ty was because of the block um, because it, it because we saw like, how Boomer mm-hmm. was this moody and kind of self-destructive person. And, you know, I think we have evidence within the series to say a, a good portion of that was the block that she was living with, that dual life that she was living. And so I, you know, my note was, I'm curious to see how this impacts Ellen. And the answer seems to be none. Her personality hasn't changed. Yeah. The... The intelligence level, okay, seemed to skyrocket. Okay. Like she, I don't think that she would have been able to hold her own in a conversation with Cavill, with Cavill like that. And she I, was I see your point from there. from a logical standpoint, making arguments and you know back Persuasive. and forth. Yes, uh, I don't think the other Ellen Ty that we knew. Yeah, could, I just meant would she be less of that. a mess, and she wouldn't be. <laughs> well, we'll see in the next episode. She's still screwed up. <laughs> Um, I guess maybe they got humans, uh, the, the, what it means to be human in a Cylon really <laughs> well. Uh, we do discover in this conversation that there were 13 models. The number yeah. sevens, the Davids were all destroyed by Cavill. Um, Daniel. Yes. You said David. Oh, thank you. Yep. That's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll find out that in a little bit. I want to talk for a second. Um, Cavill. Is I was it? He's looking for remorse. I think that's a note I wrote. Remorse for Cavill? No, I I can't figure out. Yeah. I can't remember why. But the next note is: free will was given, love was given, creativity was given. And talking about is he's like saying, "Why did you make me human? What what is so great here?" And she is trying to get across the point of, "Look, we were we're trying to give, maybe not saying it, but." Humanity is kind of flawed, but humanity has some amazing things. Creativity, free will, love, that a a pure chrome toaster wouldn't comprehend, would have no concept of. And she's saying, we gave you this and you, you spit on it and, and don't recognize this as this is one of the really great things about being human. And he's just focusing sure. on all of the things that are negative about it, which is really getting to the heart of, you didn't love me enough, mommy. And <laughs> I, I poisoned your son. Yeah. It was interesting to me, the argument here that Ellen is coming from, which I, you know, I could maybe accept if the right person were making it in the right way, which is that the blessing and the curse of humanity are inseparable. The, the free will mm-hmm. and the ability mm-hmm. to love come from... Somehow they're inextricably inextricably linked to the flaws that come with being a human. It's kind of like why in Dungeons and Dragons, when you roll a new character or you're saying, you know, you choose your skill points and you're given a certain allotment of those points. You can't have everything be 20s, you know, not everything can be absolutely perfect because that's you can not, get pretty close, though. That, that's not what a, that's not what a character <laughs> is. Uh, and so 
as humanity, there are flaws that come along with us. I, I get narratively why that is. Like, I, you know, I understand from a narrative structure standpoint mm-hmm. why that's important in Dungeons and Dragons, why it's important in writing. Um, to, to say that it's, it's factual about us is true as well. But I don't know that I completely buy the argument that it's impossible to have free will without the squishy, unwelcome parts of being a human. I don't know. It's an interesting question. Yeah, certainly one that's not explored within this episode. Right. Um. Okay, let's see here. Oh, we have, I think it was all of the Cylons getting around together as they've realized this new information mm-hmm. that they have. It starts finger pointing. <laughs> I love Saul's line. You point a finger back far enough and some germ gets blamed for splitting in two. <laughs> which reminded me of the uh, the good old Douglas Adams saw. Many people were increasingly of the opinion they'd all made a big mistake in coming down from the trees in the first place. And some said that even the trees had been a bad move and that no one should have ever left the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. We have Dr. John Hodgman. Yeah, we do. <laughs> which is hard to take serious. It really was. Um, even like in the serious role, he's still managing to be just that little bit goofy. Yep. But you're like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is my wife, even after I told her who she was, I was like, oh, hey, that's John Hodgman. Like, I just heard the voice, right? Mm-hmm. And she's like, who's John Hodgman? I'm like, Mac and PC? She's like, ah, I don't see it. I'm like, quit worrying about seeing it. Close your eyes and listen to the voice. It's so distinctive. Um, okay, so the question is, should we take the bullet out? And Dr. Hodgman here, I don't remember what his real name is. Not important. He indicates, oh, you know, the seizure that he had, it, it pointed out some things. By the way, here's this embolism that's you know could potentially kill him or the next... The little seizure that he has, he's dead. Um, but because this happened, you know, we have a good chance to take this bullet out. And as with, you know, many medical things that we've seen before, if I take that out, I will potentially lose what I have gained, yeah. this new information. And he doesn't want to do it. Andrew says, no, I, I, I don't want to do this. It gets to a point where he's incoherent enough that he can't make the decision for himself, which seems weird since he's said multiple times to Doc Cottle or in the, in the space around him that he doesn't want this. They turn to Starbuck. All right, Starbuck, technically you're married to the guy, so you have the right. What should we do? And she, I want to say sort of, no, she selfishly, because we've come to find out. Sure. She selfishly says, take the bullet out. Yeah. You know, and so he's trying to spit out as much information as he possibly can before they take him into surgery. Um, and what it comes to find out, she, you know. She wanted to know what she is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it. I guess I kind of liked Starbuck for that. Admitting admitting that okay part. i see uh you know you said it's weird that doc cottle let her make the decision i'm convinced that doc cottle was going to keep asking people until someone until <laughs> he found someone that told him to take the bullet out who, who else can he ask adama 
Why would Adama step in on this? Because Doc Call asked him to. No. Hey, order I, I me to take I the bullet. I don't see out. any of that. Ah, going I think anywhere. that could totally happen. Um, Cavill gets pushy with Ellen. I think this is the. Okay, well, since uh, you're not going to get on board with this, uh, we're just going to take apart your brain. Since you won't tell us how to do resurrection, I'm going to go in there and we will find out ourselves. Which I'm not convinced he can do. As he put it, the brain's made up of just a bunch of electrical circuits. And I'm going to open it up and unfold, you know, all of all of the secrets that you hold. Um, the six feels the baby moving and she, she introduces Ty to that. And, uh, it just made me remember when Dee Dee was pregnant with JJ, our first child. I remember at one point Dee Dee complaining about her side hurting. And when she lifted up her shirt, I could distinctly see toes poking through her mm-hmm. rib cage. That was fascinating. <laughs> like, like I'm sure it was painful as all get out, but I couldn't stop looking at him. Like I can see toes. Through your your body, <laughs> very cool. Yeah, uh, that's very funny. Actually, uh, I'm sure there's plenty of humor that can be made from that. Um, <laughs> we'll not do it today. Ellen makes a quote to Cavill as she finally, you know, brings it out to the other uh, eight there, uh, Boomer, and she says, "Be the boy I made," indicating. Cavill has probably changed in some way. He's gotten more cynical. He's gotten more angry, mm-hmm. full of hate and bile. And her, as the the mother, so to speak, who recognizes that her child is a holy terror, still, you know, wants to, to love this thing that she <laughs> created. And it's, I don't want to say it's a nice moment for Ellen Ty. But it is kind of, she's you know trying to get him to you know be the be the boy I made, yeah. be the little boy that I remember that you know was so sweet and did so so many wonderful things. What is interesting and what I want to call out further is she kind of, in a roundabout way, kind of turned him into what he is. For, you know, the programming that he got, okay. you know, with whatever, you know, body that was, it it was what it was. And could he have turned out differently into some other form? Is it possible that his programming could have, you know, he could have allowed himself to mature and grow and expand in a way that wasn't full of hate and anger? Well, I think that's her assertion because mm-hmm. he has free will. Yeah. He can choose how he reacts to the stimulus. I want to I want to believe that. But then again, I I look at all of the different Cylon models and I think, yeah, each one of them seems to kind of do a certain thing. And I don't know if maybe that's Cavill's I that's what tampering. I I I very possible. Because here's the other thing. Why don't any of the other models remember the final five? Mm-hmm. Cavill's been tampering. Yeah. Yeah. It's my, my belief. Um, okay. So we have major ship damage. Um, Tyrrell has a suggestion. Well, we've got this, you know, this stuff that kind of heals the Cylon ship. It might work if we bring this over here. Adama says no. 
then changes his mind at the very yeah. end and says, okay, yes, this because he sees in his own quarters mangled metal yeah tears in in the hull so to speak and it's oh my gosh we're literally falling apart now we can't keep this up i I love carol's line here it's in her bones admiral her bones are rotten Mm -hmm. and i just thought that's such a great metaphor because if you think about the series the bones of galactica is the concept that humans and Cylons should be at war with one another. And as we've come to appreciate the at least one faction of Cylon kind for who they are, we've seen that this is a rotten concept. This is, you know, this is a bad foundation that that Galactica and humanity and Cylon civilizations are built on. So to have that metaphor, I just thought it was so aptly put. And a great metaphor for the conceit of the entire series, which is hate and mutual recrimination. You build anything on those, and it will be rotten to the core. Um, Ellen manages to get away. Eight clearly was swayed by what had happened, Boomer, and so they managed to fly away. Um, made me think of the question, they fly out of the base ship, and then they jump away. Why not just jump away inside the base ship? I thought it might have something to do with how they talk about the dangers of jumping within uh, atmosphere. Faster than light travel in science fiction frequently is portrayed as having problems around gravity wells of any kind. So you have mm-hmm. to get outside the gravity well in order for the calculations of the faster than light computer to work correctly. But remember, the... They've jumped into the the atmosphere many, many times. But they always did all the calculations first. <clears throat> um, yeah. I, I kind of feel like the the reasoning for why it was so dangerous was, one, the speed at which they must have been going, okay. slowing down, and two, the location where they're going to come out. Okay. Doesn't seem, seems like it's pretty close, but maybe not super accurate. I think they talked about how one of the raptors rematerialized inside of a mountain, <laughs> yeah. um, which, <laughs> whoa. Um, uh, but, yeah, uh, interesting. Wish we knew more yeah. about uh, about that piece of technology. Uh, any other thoughts that you wanted to share? I, I found it really interesting, the finer points of integration between humankind and Cylon kind that Admiral Adama is willing to accept and the points that he gets hung up on. Yeah. He's okay with having a Cylon for his XO, but he wants an entirely human crew working on the ship. Uh, And and there's a couple other instances that I didn't make specific note of, but where I thought it's, it's weird to me that he like, he's okay with like, I know Tyrrell and I know Ty, I know the man that they are, but these are still kind of other and I don't trust them and I don't, you know, it's, I'm glad you kind of brought that up. I tend to think of it as someone who's old, who's been racist most of their life, mm. and society has grown up around them, and suddenly racism is not okay. <laughs> and it is, um, I can still continue to be racist, uh, and maybe maybe I even have a black friend. <laughs> uh, but... You know, I, I'm still going to hold tight to these okay. things. 
His eyes are opening up a little bit. I uh, I like that idea. I, I don't have a problem with it. I just found it interesting to note the times when he's okay with it and the times when he's not didn't really feel like, for me, the times that, you know, I was like, I, I'd have far more qualms about having my XO be the Cylon than I would about having just the standard worker drone being a Cylon. I disagree. The okay. The idea is... He, you already said it. He knows Ty. He knows Tyrrell. There's a relationship there, and it seems as though they are still on his side. They, that's that's the feeling that's portrayed. And this other thing is going to come in, and it's going to change the very fundamental thing of what Galactica is. It no longer stays, you know, pure. Wow, that's weird with the <laughs> racism thing. Uh I, I see where you're coming from, and I, it's why I made the same point. I, I can understand it, but I'm saying for me, I think I would have felt that finding out Ty and Tyrrell are Cylons is far more of a personal betrayal, and I don't know that I ever would have been able to come back to that situation of trust where Adama got back there pretty okay, quickly I, I within see, the context I of the series. I see that point. I assumed... Uh, you were talking about an inconsistency within story. No, I was saying, uh, comparing myself to the character of Adama, I would have hung up the exact opposite way he did. He was quick to forgive those who he loved. Yeah, I see, I see that. Um, but Adama doesn't have very many people left. That's true. That's a good point. Um, all right, any, any other thoughts? Nope, that's it. Let's do uh, Brainy's email. He says, what a crazy episode for a young rookie to step up and write. But Ryan Mott's head... Uh, was in the right writer's room in the right low-level position during the right writer's strike. <laughs> yeah. uh, in this episode, we get a very unusual precap, highlighting the fracked Earth and the original 78 Cylons. But more importantly, Toasty is back. As he helps Ellen out of the goo tub, we really see a nice moment of character growth for our new favorite robot buddy but uh what i appreciate most about this episode that ellen finally possesses the idea that the difference between organic and artificial is a matter of how we define things and more so i love how ellen asks cavill how it is logical for the superior cylons to pursue pursue humans with a singular human mindset of petty revenge and so for this uh for this one episode and one episode only ellen makes sense (laughs) and cavill makes oedipus look like dilbert as he (laughs) emerges as one of the most twisted baddies in science fiction and what a brilliant scene where he laments over his inability to perceive a supernova this episode is masterfully acted by Cavill, Ellen, and Toasty. And there is a brain guy? And it's the Apple commercial guy? <laughs> well, he seems to be good at his job. And Starbuck would be really annoying in this episode um, as she prevents the final five from finding any relevant answers other than her own selfish inquiries. But I will always remember the scene where Cavill spews his venomous rage about how, quote, it's my maker's fault. Sci-Fi 10, TV 8, Music 6. 
Uh, let's jump over to listener M. He says, so this is the episode that answers all of Joey's questions that have been <laughs> building up throughout the series. Most Here, of them. Here's some of the answers I got from the episode. The 13th tribe of humanoid Cylons was created by the humans on Cobol. They traveled to Earth, stopping by the algae planet along the way. At some point in the distant past, which by the way, they talk about that thing that they created down there, the Temple of the Final Five. Yeah, she Temple called of Waiting. It, she called it, yeah, something else. Um, I, I so much more information about that. But see, that's the that's that's what I meant by saying they didn't give you too much. They gave you enough that there's still some mystique in there. They didn't do the George Lucas midichlorian problem where you reveal so much that there's no more mystique left in the thing. But she, you know, she revealed some information and she kept some back as well. And I think that that I think that was incredibly good writing. Mm. At some point in the distant past, they built robotic servants. The servants rebelled and decided to nuke them all. The concept of the monotheistic god originated not from the final five or their skin job creations, but from the robotic centurions. That was an interesting point. Yep. Cavill was the first new skin job based on Ellen's father and he helped make the others. There were eight skin job models, but seven, uh, uh, sorry, not seven, but Cavill killed off one named Daniel because he resented how Mama Ellen seemed to favor him. Cavill joined Anders' resistance on New Caprica, became Tyrrell's confessor, cut out Ty's eye, etc., all as a way to prolong his parents' suffering. Uh, we'll skip over the part about how he used to get with his mother. <laughs> uh, there is a colony out in space somewhere where the technology to build a new resurrection hub, uh, but the skin jobs don't know how to use it. With Anders apparently brain dead, rebuilding resurrection may be impossible. But with human, a human Cylon intermingling possible, who knows where the future will lead? TV 6, Sci-Fi 7. Okay. Pete, science fiction reading? I think this is awesome. <laughs> so many things are explained. I don't want to say wrapped up, but we're... You know, the, the curtain is pulled back, so to speak, and we see inside. And so much of what we didn't quite understand makes a lot more sense. You had trouble with, you know, why did they bother to show Adama from the first war uh, finding these skin jobs? Explained. Explained, yep. Uh, we come to find out that the, um, the one true God idea came from centurions. Yeah, that machines. was cool. Um. The idea of smelling dark matter, hearing x-rays, um, and then all of the story behind Ellen as we find out you know, how she and the other Final Five really created this uh, was fantastic. I'm going to give this a 10 for science fiction. I also give it a 10 for science fiction. I think you encapsulated it well. 
uh, the the idea of the part or the the stuff that can regrow the ship. Oh yeah, I thought that Good. was very very cool as well. And like you said, I just want to I just want to hit it again because we didn't talk about it in here. Uh, for some reason I was thinking it happened more in the next episode, but now I realize I was wrong. Is this idea that machines that believed in God? It's fascinating. Like mm-hmm. how how many times in science fiction have we actually seen that? Not a whole lot. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, it seems as though this mythology of the gods was around for quite a while. Yeah. And it, you know, proliferated out for literally millennia. Um, it Interesting to see that that, you know, changed because of yep. centurions. Uh, so television, this is hard. Because so much of this show, I just can't ignore this and say, okay, it's really good. You know, it, it gets an aid or something. No, it's not. It's okay television. It's decent television. It is television that if you have not watched the majority of this series, you'd be like, what? Uh, that, that's, you're explaining a lot of things. I don't really get the context. <laughs> Wait, why did you have to tell us about this or that? Um, it's still really good. Cavill and Ellen. They had some good scenes. Otherwise, this would have only been a, a five for me. I give it a six, but that's not to say that it wasn't a good television episode. It's just without the context of so many other things, you're gonna feel lost if you're you know jumping in right here for whatever weird reason. I appreciate you throwing the word lost out there because lost is going to be the example that I'm going to hold up on why I think this deserves an eight. Okay, there is a level of writing on display here. That I don't know why this guy isn't out there doing more stuff right now. <laughs> um, there, the, his ability to, as I mentioned earlier, to reveal some stuff but still keep that shadow of mystique where I felt gratified. Okay, I'm getting some answers to some of these questions. And, yeah, there were some other questions embedded inside the answers, but – he was able to couch them in such a way that I could say, okay, those are less important than the main theme right. running through the, the story here. They're not the ones we've been here. dwelling on for so long. And I think the writers of Lost showed how hard that really is. Because the writers of Lost, they had some good stuff. There were some good writers there. But they were not able to bring their audience the same kind of closure that we're getting from this episode, No Exit. Um it's weird that he would just retire after this one episode. Uh, I'm sure he's written other things. He, he's I written, don't follow. I don't follow writers super well. So he's I written like no an idea. episode here and there of other shows. There was an episode of Caprica. There was an episode of Tron Uprising, which is an animated series, but not a whole lot of stuff. I think I want to say that I remember he had something to do with. I think Razor. He I wonder was, if maybe he got to write this because it's like okay, it's already all kind of storyboarded out there. Just tell this, 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 and this story. Um, you know, make sure we reveal these things. Go. It's possible that all this came out of the Bible, but mm. you still have to be a good enough writer to pull it off. And I think he did. Moving on to our next episode, Deadlock. Ellen does what she does best, make everything worse. Also, <laughs> I have fixed the opening narration for this episode. Here it is. Once upon a time, there were three little girls who went to a religious commune. They were assigned very hazardous duties. But I took them away from all that, and now they work for me. My name is Gaius. What was that? This is the opening narration from Charlie's Angels. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, man. Charlie's Angels reference. Man, we could pull that out of the 1970s. 
Uh, wow. Okay. I, you know, I didn't know the, the angels that well. So, uh, chips and Charlie's angels, man. <laughs> I just know a few times I'm like, eh, I'm pretty sure those angels weren't wearing bras in those episodes. Um, okay. Living metal. Yeah. So the idea that we talked about in the, the previous episode, Tyrrell has this stuff that is on the base ship, helps to repair the base ship. If this can potentially maybe solve the problem that Galactica has. And it seems as though within world, pretty pretty legitimate stuff. This, yeah. could, this could actually work. Um, and that could mean that solves the problem of the ship. And, and once again, it goes back to that metaphor where it's the human-Cylon collaboration uh-huh. that solves this problem of the rotten bones. Right. Which is, which, you know... Yes, yes. All good stuff. Um, question, why is that six down there in that particular hole trying to get some food? I don't understand You know, Didi asked the same question. Yeah. at all. I mean, other than, okay, it sets it up really nice for her to get roughed yes. up <laughs> and then beat up or potentially kill some humans, uh, which then causes her to go to the doctor and she's like, oh, I'm really worried. And he's like, the kid's healthy as a horse. Get out of here. Yeah. Here, I smoke a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> no, that didn't happen. Um, anyway, it just seemed weird to me. You you, you said Didi had a problem with it, but you don't? I Like, yeah, not really. I, I get why you guys do. But as I thought to myself, well... She's got to get food somehow. Seems perfectly plausible that she has to go down to that food distribution point. Uh, uh, clearly, Adama is not interested in letting her live off of his dole. Well, I, she's clearly in the protection of the XO. Is Does he have to go down there and get his food? I, I can... No, so I think that the XO, because he's Galactica staff... Oh, eats man. in the uh, eats we in are officers way quarters. out in the weeds with this one. You here. think so? I think we've so. seen the mess hall where the soldiers eat. Well, we've seen where the officers, some of the uh, um, bridge crew, eat that small room and pilots. But, but they were coming in there with their food. Oh, that's a good point. They were often coming in there with food, so they were getting it somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. okay. It wouldn't make any sense. I mean, there has to be. Aboard Galactic, there has to be a place where I felt they it was perfectly. Food. I felt it was perfectly reasonable to say, you know what, you're not part of the Galactica crew. You're a civilian. You go down and get food with all the other civilians. Yeah. Um, Boomer and Ellen return. Yeah. You know, we have this like, oh my gosh, what? Who? This Raptor's been decommissioned. We we lost it like a year ago. <laughs> Where's this thing? And like, oh okay, well, it turns out it's Boomer and Ellen. Uh, there's a Cylon flying cap. The Heavy Raider yes. flying cap. Uh-huh. I uh, thought that was kind of cool. And I'm still bothered by this idea of how do Cylons tell different models, different iterations of the same model apart? That's racist, Joey. I cannot believe you cannot tell the difference between – that's racism. <laughs> they don't all look the same. No, I think that's typism. Mo- <laughs> modelism. <laughs> okay. So here's where I'm. I wrote the note. Early on in this episode. Okay, things are getting weird. Someone called Jerry Springer. <laughs> okay. I mean, really, because we have this scene where they're in the the hospital. They're 
checking out the baby. Ty's there with her. And now Ellen's back and Ty comes up and sees Ellen and they start kissing. And it's like, it's going to come out eventually. And it's just, it's, it's pretty bizarre. Yeah. Pretty bizarre. And I guess to a certain extent, you can't blame Ty because he doesn't have all of the knowledge and information. seems like Ellen kind of does. They got a little bit. A little bit from Anders, but it seems like Ellen has way more. Yes. Like the the block has been completely removed um, from her software or hardware or <laughs> firmware, whatever it is. <clears throat> Wetware. Wetware. <laughs> it, it's true. It's in brain blood. Uh, okay. So they begin to interrogate Ellen. Mm-hmm. And after a while, they're like, okay. And then her comment to Ty is, floor or table? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't care. (laughs) Um, Man, it seems as though he should really just hold her back for 30 seconds and say, hey, by the way, you should probably know something here. Uh, But nope, he's all Ty and still... Doesn't make a lot of great decisions, and he, you know, they... And and it's his cheating that causes the baby to go into distress. Yes. So, (laughs) it... It's (laughs) so... I like the storyline. I do. But it is kind of weird a little bit. You know, this outside force... The metaphysical aspect? Yes, is oh because of this thing that is happening out here i'm dying like et you know there there's this connection somehow and he's dying and the flower dies as well he comes back to life and you know you know swap love and uh the baby in there and the the, it's really similar or um what was the uh um star wars 3 where Leia and Luke's mother is there dying and the robot's like, there's nothing physically wrong with her. She just seems to be giving up on life, you know, because of all of this terrible stuff that's been going on with her. And I, I kind of like that, you know, there's, there's a good portion of me, but in the back of the mind is sort of like eye rolling. Okay. And I kind of don't like it. Hmm. I liked it. Yeah, I'm saying it is small part in the back of the mind. For the most part, I I do kind of like it. Like the overcritical part of yourself. Yes, maybe the part that that comes out. That's actually a much bigger part of you know what I am (laughs) than I really give my you know admit to. (laughs) Um, Gaius returns to his harem. And they have armed themselves. <laughs> yes, and all is not well. And Head Six returns. And I just giggled Yeah, when she came back on the screen because everything with Head Six is just so much fun. <laughs> um, then uh, she makes a comment about the, the flock have a new shepherd yep. who is this Paula girl. We'll see interchanges throughout the rest of this episode. We We cut over to... Ty and Ellen now 
Ellen's found out. Yeah. I can't remember how she found out, but she found out somehow. It doesn't matter. And her comment to him is, we made the sixes. <laughs> it's, it's indicating if this is basically our daughter. What did you just do with our daughter? And I, I, I want to give Ty some credit here because he, he doesn't know. know. Yeah. How, how could he possibly? It's like, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go biblical uh, on this. <laughs> we'll we'll leave that out. But let's let let's just you know let's take it into today's world. You've got a guy who's got amnesia. He meets a beautiful woman. He marries her. <laughs> they start a family. He gets his mental health back. Suspiciously half his age. Well, that's not unusual in our culture. Yeah, true, true, true. Gets his mental health back and realizes this is his daughter. Did she have amnesia too? I don't know. Sure. <laughs> Just so that we can turn the creepy factor down a little bit. Yeah. She had amnesia too. Or she never Sep- knew her father. Separated at birth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how much of a problem do you have with that? Societally, so I, I'll set it up maybe better. Um, he gets some woman knocked up at a young age. Has no idea this woman moves, this girl moves away, and um, then meets her, the, his daughter later on. They have no idea who, who sure. each other are. Okay. More plausible sure. than the amnesia thing. Which <laughs> was, <laughs> how does this work? Well, it's, uh, I'm you too know, critical. I'm that, too critical. That's what Ty has is a weird kind of amnesia. That's why I went with that. But I'd like your setup better. <laughs> Um, she uses the phrase uh, mental porn. Yes, don't tell me I was your mental porn. <laughs> That's just sad. And in, it's weird. It is so weird because that did happen. She was she showed up during those experiences and then when he is with Ellen, six shows up. I'm going to say I feel like this is a topic that I should not talk about, and I think we need to move on. Okay. Okay. Can we say this, though? The Is it possible with Ellen and Ty basically kind of being, you know, the pseudo mother and father, mm-hmm. the, the child of six seems awfully similar to... The mother, Ellen, in this case. Okay. And, and in, it kind of seems as though she managed to make herself. Sure. In, in, in Cylon form. Um, well, she was already in Cylon form. Yes, she was. <laughs> but she was making the daughter she always wanted. Her, herself a little bit. Um, okay. Weird hand touching from Ellen. Uh, when she is is meeting Tyrrell and Tori, do you do you remember this scene? Yeah, this is the yeah. The, the let me stroking with the, the back, back of my, of my yeah. hand slowly down your cheek. I'm creeped out by that. <laughs> I think even if I was married, sure, and my wife was feeling particularly amorous, and that was used, I think I'd be creeped out by that. I don't think that that is just too weird. You know, I, what I like to do to my wife is I just run my palm down <laughs> down her face. It drives her nuts, but I'm like, I love you. <laughs> just like I'm petting her face, basically. We, we should move on again. 
<laughs> I, you know, I'm surprised that uh, you didn't hit the dot coddle line here. Just don't anybody unplug anything. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that was that was very funny. Uh, so the we you know part of the thing that comes out with all of that is um, the Cylon family can actually survive. Yeah, it is possible. It, it's kind of coming out there. I wrote that the hospital scene was all over the place. I don't remember what that means or what that's about, but I didn't um, write it, so I must the, have felt it. Like the story does kind of jump around here because it's at this point that one of the sixes comes in and says, "Look, we have to leave the fleet. It's the only way. We have yeah, to have a vote right a, now. Yeah, maybe it's all a, the final five or none of them. It, it, it is kind of a, a weird scene." Okay, um, Gaius's flock. <laughs> With God as my witness, I will see you fed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Scarlet. <laughs> Oh, that was so awesome, though. Such a drama queen. <laughs> yes. So we have Rosalind and Caprica, Caprica Six. And weirdly enough, Rosalind acts more like an unfeeling machine than Six does. Interesting. Because she's talking to her, and it's still, a, it you know, she's seeing this as a pawn on a board more than she's seeing... Her child, yeah, this this living thing inside of her. You know, Dini had a similar reaction to you to that as you did to that scene. I surprise, surprise to our listeners. Sometimes I have a hard time with human emotions. <laughs> Joey's a Cylon. <laughs> um, I I totally got where Rosalind was coming from. Like Dee Dee had to ask me. She's like, "I don't. What did she mean? Is this baby important? Of course it's important. It's her baby." I'm like, "No. She means is this a child of prophecy? The way Hera is. Is it of galactically course. important? Of course. You're absolute. You're you're absolutely right about that. But what the problem is, too long. Rosalind has been this person who's got to manipulate. She feels like she's got to make the smart decision rather than." Right what decision. I think is is really what is should or should be or used to be at the core of Rosalind, which is a decent feeling person who mm. cared about individuals and would never be so brazen and okay. harsh okay. to to this other person. Uh, even if it is a Cylon, I guess. Uh, so we have the scene of Ellen and Caprica Six. And my comment I wrote is, what a jerk. I was close to writing something else, but um, the the one line in here that's just so repugnant as she's talking to her is, oh, he didn't tell you about the sex yeah. between Ellen and Ty after her return. <laughs> what a terrible, terrible thing to do to what you suggest is your own child. Right. Um, of course, Cavill screwed up. And you know what? You screwed him up. That's why in like when we talked in the previous episode about be the boy that I made, I thought, but she has no one to blame but herself. We see how she treats her children. She, she's petty. She is still the holds all of the things that we hate so much about what Ellen Ty has been before. I thought it was interesting that apparently alcoholism travels across resurrection. <laughs> Constantly looking for a drink, and I thought it weird. I, you know, I actually have this note way back at the beginning of the episode. 
Um, I don't, I don't remember what it was in the scene that prompted me to write it, but how do they still have alcohol at this point? I don't know. How has that not become, you know what? The, the Al- alcohol Al- algae hall. Even if, <laughs> even if I grant that, how is that a priority? I don't know. The bar. Why, why is there a bar? Yeah. Maybe that's what it was. Did Kaylin go to the bar in this episode? Yes. Yeah. Yes, because Kara's got the bullet. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so we have uh, Gaius is handing out the food until the brigands take it. Turns out these are the sons of Ares. Yep. We, we've met these people before. And how naive is Gaius? Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Ty and Adama get drunk. Um, quote, Great grandpa was a power sander. <laughs> that was good. Good tie. If it works, she'll still be galactic on the outside, but she won't know what she is anymore. And I wanted him to say, we all know he was thinking it just like me. Right? That's where he is. That's where he is as a character, as a person. I don't know who I am anymore. Do I hate the Cylons? Do I work with the Cylons? Am I here to fight? Am I here to lead? I don't know who or what I even am anymore. And my ship is the embodiment of my confusion. Yeah. I, <clears throat> Galactica really is so much of what Admiral Adama is uh, for sure. It's a, it's a good metaphor. Um, blah, blah, blah. Gaius wants to help others. So this is where the things are kind of coming to a head uh, with Paula and he starts kind of attacking her, um, and he throws—I think it's his line—I uh, see pragmatism as he's yes. getting up on his high yep. horse. And I thought, what a great way to describe Paula. Um, I—we I, don't have any information regarding whether or not she's trying to make a power play. It seems as though maybe she's filling in because guys stepped took into off, the vacuum. You know, yeah. she's. She's not trying to just gain power, but she sees Gaius a little bit more of what Gaius really is. And, you know, she's she's done. She's not enamored. <laughs> she's not playing the part of the harem anymore. And she basically has said, we need to take care of ourselves. And we figured out a way to do it. We got some guns. And now we hoard our own food. And we don't let anybody be a part of this. And we control it. We use this food to get other things. This is our money, so to speak. This yeah. is the, the thing that... The currency can, of the realm. Right. And Gaius attacks that uh, under the guise... I mean, really, he's trying to get power back. Yeah. Let, let's be honest. Let, let's he's no lost his about squad. this. He is trying to get back his his power base. But he brings up a relevant, good thing, which is we should be trying to help these other people. That is a good and honorable thing to do. And because of your icy pragmatism, you ignore all of these other people. And I liked that. I, I kind of enjoyed that scene a little bit. And it made me think, probably aren't going to like this. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't even be surprised by this. It made me think about um, objectivism in the same similar light. This is my thing. Okay. This is, I do this well. I've, I've gotten this. 
Why should we give it to these other people? These are ours. This, be, if we don't have this, then we can't control our own fate, etc., etc. And while I, I do, I espouse objectivism for the the good things that it does, but I think there is a definite flaw. And I think for maybe the first time I found a good way of saying it is it's almost there's an um, a feel there is this part of I have no feeling for you know, my fellow man that I, I bristle at and I don't like because of my Christian heritage. The, okay. the, the feeling of Christ has taught us to be good and helpful to all of his children. But this, I, this icy pragmatism <laughs> is, is really the phrase for, I think the first time that I really thought that sums up what I don't like about objectivism. Okay. And I think it's reasonable. I think it's probably the best argument that could be made in that regard. I mean, unless you're a looter or a Democrat um, or, you know, <laughs> only, only, only kidding, so to speak. <laughs> um, I, I feel like that's a good argument that someone could legitimately kind of attack objectivism from. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, do, sorry, I'm not asking you, no, by the way, to jump in here. I'm, and try I'm and, not going to, you know defend I, I think maybe at some point we need to do a atlas shrugged podcast though <laughs> that would be an undertaking of epic ma- proportions serious yeah. magnitudes yeah it's something it's another one of those ones that is something i've stayed away from in joy's culture corner even though i really uh-huh. want to tackle it it's so big and, and there's so many uh, i wouldn't so even want to do it with the movies that got created no i wouldn't want to either um, but I do want to share just briefly uh, a little story that Aaron shared with me. I can't even remember the context that he brought it up in, but he was, he was talking about how there were these two children and one of them is a conservative Republican and the other one was a liberal Democrat and they want to play with each other, but they feel like that's a betrayal of their, you know, their foundational values. And so the, the Democrat or the, 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 the conservative says to the liberal, you know, my mom says it's going to be okay. It's just a phase you're going through. Yeah. And the liberal says back to the conservative, well, my mom says that conservatism is just a phase you're going through. And the conservative's response is, no, no, no. Conservatives only get more conservative because every year we get a little further through Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. That's a funny joke. That is really funny. It may have been – he may have been reciting a, an episode of The Simpsons to me. I'll be honest. A lot of time when Aaron's talking, I stop listening because <laughs> he takes a long time to tell the story. Uh, he's an ent. Yeah, he is kind of an ent, isn't he? <laughs> Slow moving uh, and wise like the ents. <laughs> um, okay, so let's move on here. He makes the play against Paula. Um Let's see here. Ellen acts like a petulant, I'm just going to say it, bitch. <laughs> she is awful. Just yeah. terrible. As she is, she's making her own power play. And she's using this scenario to make Ty look like a bad guy. Yeah. Which I suppose he kind of is, but not in this regard. It's one of these times it's not Ty's fault. <laughs> it's really not his fault. And she just... Unfortunately, for whatever reason, if we're going to make this claim that it's attached to love, 
uh, this doesn't react well to Liam. Uh, six goes into uh, distress. Distress. Good, good word. Uh, and then they're taken to the hospital. And eventually what we see is, you know, these parents bickering in front of their children. You know, it, that scene plus as it carries through to the hospital. And finally, after a little while, Ellen really is like, what have I done? I've ruined this pure Cylon, Cylon pairing yep. that happened here. All because uh, I was angry at Ty for, for what had happened. And I I like this line here. I don't remember where it comes in, but Ty says, Isn't it enough that I feel it? I, I don't need to I say it. I shouldn't need to say it. Um, I think that was in the hospital yeah. room. It's when uh, Ellen is telling him, Tell her you love her. She needs to hear that you love her. And he says, I, I shouldn't need to feel it. Isn't or shouldn't need to isn't enough that I feel I shouldn't need to say it. If you just stop making me say it, I'll have enough love to fill up this whole room. Totally I, know where he's coming from. I get it. Yes. I, here's here's how screwed up I am. Part of me said, "Oh well, the way that they first shared love is punching each other repeatedly. <laughs> so maybe what would have saved the baby." <laughs> <laughs> just started wailing on her right there in the hospital bed. How screwed up am I? <laughs> that's where I went to. That's where their love first really blossomed. Nice. Oh, I am. I am going to hell. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, the baby dies. Um, we come to see Gaius presents a plan, and he calls it the only human plan, really. Kind of you have left here. He arms. He's gonna get weapons. And now angels. he's he's got himself back um, in control, so to speak. By the way, Paula scares the daylights out of me. And that should woman. scare Gaius more than she does. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, Sam wakes up. Friend, I wrote friends console each other. I think that's when uh, Ty goes to Adama. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And he is crying his eyes out they're just holding each other i found that scene really awkward and i just kind of what a surprise what a surprise i just kind of wanted to forget that it happened at all (laughs) would would you would it have made you feel better if if adama would have come up and just stroked the cheek (laughs) of the back of his hand (laughs) and then maybe punched him more weird than what happened honestly <laughs> oh yeah two grown men hugging because the other guy's just... kid died yeah that's weird what is wrong with you you unfeeling cylon i'm not unfeeling it's just that's not how you deal with it that doesn't oh, make things gosh. better it just makes things weird when you die before me and it will happen <laughs> i am gonna i'm just gonna be i'm gonna hold your dead body <laughs> You climb down in the casket. <laughs> and then slowly <laughs> take my hand down the, the back of my hand down your cheek. And then you punch me a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're so messed up. Oh, so messed up. All right, do you have anything else? Sam wakes up. Yeah, Sam wakes up. Uh, let's go to emails. Uh, listener M says... <laughs> 
the um uh oh i missed a line here somewhere um he says have we ever seen ty as happy when he was kissing caprica's pregnant belly mm. maybe not uh the big question in deadlock is can the cylons living goop really repair cap uh galactica um also you know it was weird they kept going back and forth to this as um adama was constantly checking that this mm-hmm. stuff is working it, it would have been nice to have seen something happen in all of those scenes because i didn't get that it was either working or not working all yeah. i got was we still don't know yet and it seemed that's the the C storyline, the B storyline. I think is the Gaia stuff. Um, tr- truthfully, for me, that wh- I, I think it was worked. that all filler. I don't think it was filler. I think it was to where, build where a you, sense. Where do of, you see anything in there that shows that goo is working? It, I don't. But I think that's intentional. I think that's by design to build a sense of anxiety in the viewer. This generalized sense of anxiety over what's going to happen. Is Galactica going to collapse in on itself? Adama, watching Adama try to deal with that lets us put ourselves in that scenario of, you know, with all this other mess that's going on with Ellen being the way she is and with, you know, Gaius arming these nutcases, there's an even bigger, grander problem that is going to potentially span multiple episodes here of... Jeez, is Galactica even going to survive, or are we just completely screwed? Right. Okay. Uh, also, Ellen seems nicer post-resurrection than the drunk trollop we remember from episodes like Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. Um, it seems that Baltar is just looking out for Baltar. He isn't a messiah like his cult members want us to believe. It seems Baltar is just screwing around with everyone he can. Although James Callis provides a wickedly funny comic relief for an otherwise serious show. (laughs) TV 7, Sci-Fi 8. Hope this makes it in time for recording. It did, Mark. Um, I'm not going to say... I'm not going to disagree with Gaius is just looking out for Gaius. But the comment, he isn't a messiah... What? He's he's talking to some unseen force, right? Isn't that kind of, you know, some messiah cult? You know, he is maybe he is sent from God. Joey's thinking hard about this. I just I don't think he's we get nothing from the character of Gaius to make us think that he's interested in saving anyone but himself, which I think would exclude him from the category of Messiah. Okay. Fair comment. I'm going to disagree with you in the case of the very book you used in Joey's culture corner. Nothing that that man did in the first book suggests that he is the Messiah series, uh, Messiah. Well, Messiah individual, yeah. right? But he redeems himself or is redeemed in is some redeemed. manner yeah. to the extent that I would imagine everybody's going to see him as the I Messiah. I don't think everyone is, but I think some people will. 
I certainly did. Oh, okay. Well, the way you portrayed it is he's redeemed, and that's what what I said. What, what I was trying better, to be careful basically. to express was I feel the character was redeemed. I don't think that everyone would agree with it, and it's one of the reasons why there's so many qualifications I put around oh, recommendation. Okay, everyone else out there who might read it, what do the characters within the book? How oh, do I they see. treat that person? Yes, as though he were a messiah figure. Yeah. So I'm just saying evidence right there to potentially support what we're talking about with Gaius here. I I see your point. I just I don't think we have enough like I said last week, I don't think we have enough story left for Gaius to grow enough for that to come about. Okay, deadlock. Now Ellen is back for reels and uh Jane Espenson can do better. We have covered her episodes many times on the podcast, and she has come a long way since starting off with the hit ABC comedy, Dinosaurs. <laughs> come to think of this episode, could have used a reptilian baby creature pointing at Saul, or Galen, or Hot Dog saying, Not the mama! <laughs> uh, brilliant callback, Brainy, by the way. Um, I hope we see Toasty again soon. Sci-Fi 6, TV 6, Music 6. Joey's final handful. What do you think of the scene where Ellen eats an apple, offering it to Boomer? Satan and Eve? <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting because you know I, I did not watch Battlestar Galactica when it was first on TV, but I remember seeing the promotional trailers for Caprica. And I remember an apple featuring strongly in the promotional materials that went out around Caprica. So I I did kind of go with this. Yeah, you know, this is the the knowledge. And once you've accepted it, you can't go back to the way you were. Your life is forever altered. What do you think Athena is... Uh, sorry, do you think Athena is the only successful procreator because she is the only model able to go against her programming? No. I don't think she's the only model able to go against her programming. Okay. What do you think about all the references to Paradise Lost? What's up with that? I didn't even catch that many. I mean, I've seen... I, I couldn't even tell you what they were. I, I know... The book, but I have I, well, the I, apple, never right? <laughs> I, I, no, sorry, oh, okay. that reference is meaningless. Okay. What's up with the plot thread involving Galen's baby or fake baby? Is it a sign of bad writing? I'm not sure. I I know what he's talking about with this. Question. Well, it's the whole question of. Was Galen's child half Cylon or not? And then it turns out it wasn't even Galen's child anyway. And why did we introduce the character if it's not going to go anywhere? Um, I think. Oh, it, okay. Well, I think I've got an answer for that. I, I think it was just there to give us a way to connect to the character of Galen. It's, you know, that, that fatherhood, the, the struggle with his wife as they try to introduce a, a child into their little family unit. And then something for him to stay rooted with after the big reveal and the death of his wife. I think it's one of the strongest pieces of evidence that there were certain aspects that the writers just had not figured out. Hmm. And that 
that really becomes a huge question. You know, oh, is this baby important? Oh, wait, no, it's not important. Um, why did the creator of the final five make them so flawed and such crappy people? Because it was humans that created them. We don't know any other way to be. Um, well, remember from Marx, like those, those Cylons, they came from COBOL. Right. They were created by humans on COBOL. Yeah, I, I really, really wish I had actually done the homework that I wanted to do after I got done watching these episodes so that I had this whole timeline solid in my mind i i don't know why you struggle with it so much i i don't know either because <laughs> i've seen it you know a hundred percent more than you and i still struggle uh later dudes ambassador brainy smurf uh brainy thanks very much for the email uh good stuff as always and um you know what he was the one that was calling wasn't he the one calling us out for not giving the the top five in time yes he was and, and he we did, did it. not include he didn't even bother to oh my goodness what a betrayal i think we should take back that final or that uh, top five uh, for next week <laughs> he doesn't get to know he's not including it uh, brainy when you get to that part of the podcast stop listening <laughs> <laughs> retroactively <laughs> uh okay joey uh for science fiction uh, I'm going to give this an eight. You know, I, I part of that I'm including is the metaphysical aspect of is the love the thing that creates the baby and the lack of the love the thing that kills the baby. Um, we also have the the goop, you know, trying to heal the ship. Eight. Uh, I give this an eight as well. I, I think there are tons of, of science fiction themes running through here. Um, the Cylon, um, as they try to sort themselves out and, you know, what, what are they going to do? All of those various scenes were, were fantastic. The goo um, was, uh, again, very, very cool. So, agreed. For television, I'm giving this one a six. Mostly because I just can't stand to watch Ellen Ty. <laughs> I, I, I know there are people who like that kind of thing. Uh, in fact, let me let me just insert this as a, as a brief aside here. I am on a a interview panel that about once a month I get sent uh, things from the television industry. It, it includes clips of shows that they're thinking about green lighting, and they show me a little you know two and a half minute clip, and they tell me you know how what words would I use to describe the the show, and what kind of expectations did I get from that trailer. Um, in a recent survey that they sent me, I think I finally figured out what people like about characters like Ellen Ty, as well as reality television. Uh, th so they asked me to talk about the shows that I watch, that I enjoy, and they gave me, you know, this list of features. Does this show, do you watch this show because kind of questions? And one of the questions on there was, do you watch this show? And then you say, I agree strongly. I agree somewhat. I'm neutral. Disagree somewhat. Disagree strongly. One of the questions was, because watching these people allows me to feel superior. <laughs> I don't okay. I don't find that attractive. I, I, certainly there are people who do, but that give, that leads me to give this a six. 
Um, I disagree slightly. I, I think it's actually pretty good. I think it's a seven. Um, I was entertained. I think people watching this would see the train wreck of the Ellen Ty uh, storylines and say, "Oh, this this is gonna be good." Uh, ooh, he's getting <laughs> with his own daughter, saucy. Um, that I think is you know the depraved humanity that we live in. I you know they're gonna go to that, and I think the rest of the stuff is actually pr- pretty darn good. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-508-4242. So until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And we thank you for listening.